The Horsemen have been summoned yet again, and this time it's for one of probably the biggest pieces of news in quite a few years if you care about the organization and business of esports. That is to say, it is the merger of ESL and Faceit under the banner of the Saudi government's Sovereign Wealth Fund. And joining us is our four horsemen, Mick from Face It to discuss this merger and answer questions. He's brave enough to come onto the podcast. And before we start, we also have to say that Richard Thord and I have been working on setting up a new company of which Face It plans to be an investor. So that is the <laughs> disclosure up front. And then hilarious. Yeah, think of this as an interview. If it goes well, maybe you won't want to see this happens. If it doesn't, maybe there's an episode without you later on. Who knows? And also, I have to disclose that I was doing some consulting in terms of writing some of the CSGO-facing uh, press information and community information about this. So I was uh, helping out with some of the writing of talking about the CSGO-related projects that are going to be part of this moving forward. Now, I couldn't tell my fellow horsemen about this deal because it was confidential and especially sensitive because ESL used to be a publicly traded company under MTG, which would make it illegal for me to say anything. So there was a lot of there were many veils of secrecy around this project. God only knows what happened to you if you betray those fucking owners now, Monty. Those <laughs> exactly. masters might have a different fucking punishment. Might not just be a little blacklist from the old riot industry, you know. Yeah, yep, that's that's very true. So we're gonna we're gonna get into all of this. So first off, to lay out what has happened. Um MTG, which was the former owner, and Mick, you can you can tell me if I get any of this wrong or add some color to it as as time goes on here. Uh MTG was the former owner. It was a Swedish media group that was a publicly traded company in Sweden. And they, several years ago, purchased ESL. Now, for those of you who don't know, ESL has been secretly for sale behind the scenes. Well, sort of not so secretly, but for sale behind the scenes for quite some time now. Um, so it was basically MTG trying to find a buyer for this group. Now, they also almost sold at the beginning of 2020. If people don't forget to, I forget which one, but I think maybe, maybe do you. It was one of the Chinese streaming services they were going to be bundled off to, but it didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there there has been, you know, some discussions about who would buy ESL, who wants this business. Now, what ended up happening is that ESL and Faceit, and I'm sure Mick will add color to this from the Faceit side, decided to merge. And the investment group is the Saudi government sovereign wealth fund. And what this is, is basically a state-run venture capital fund. And what it's for is, in basically, the Saudi government is taking all their oil money and then using it to try and invest in projects in the future. They've invested in many things, including like Uber, uh, you know, Disney. So every time you watch- Anything not evil? Anything not evil? Anything not evil? <laughs> like yeah, yeah. No, no non-evil projects okay keep going then <laughs> so they've invested in a lot of things you guys can look it up um if you are interested in what they've invested in basically they already touch every part of your life most likely uh because they are investing in massive tech companies and future projects and they will continue to do so because they have an extraordinary amount of liquid capital in order to invest in these things now one of these investments is now the as I understand it, Mick, you can the complete and total one hundred percent ownership of Faceit and ESL combined. Yeah, that's correct. It's all correct. Okay. So maybe if I uh, may add a bit of a background um, 
in terms of like a uh, face it uh, uh, ESL merger, that's something that started before the discussion with the um, with the uh, in this case is uh, Savvy Gaming. Uh, technically, is the company acquiring uh, uh, ESL and face it, which is um, a subsidiary of uh, PIF, the public investment fund that you just uh, mentioned. So effectively, they created a new company um, that is. Uh, particularly focus on uh, uh, investment in the gaming space. So um, the ESL Facebook Group is the first uh, acquisition they were they were doing in the space. But um, the um, the goal is for them to um, as they continue building a portfolio of companies and opportunities uh, within the, the gaming space. Uh, they're doing this with um, say a. Um, let's say invite investor mindset right so they they're looking at as you said like uh ways to differentiate uh from uh from oil and uh all the businesses that they have and uh they're thinking they're taking a very long-term view right what what's going to be valuable in the next uh 10 20 30 years uh and that's where they're they're placing their bets basically so uh, going maybe going back to the um, esl and face merger um that's something that started uh, before the discussion with the Savvy Gaming Group. And ultimately, um, we saw an opportunity as we think the two companies are, are complementary. Obviously, Faceit is the largest uh, online platform for, for people to come together and play, uh, while uh, ESL at the moment has the largest uh, portfolio of uh, content and events in esports. Uh, and obviously, like uh, all of us here, are very focused on Counter-Strike, and we, we care a lot about Counter-Strike, but this uh, spans across a lot of different games and titles, right? And uh, <clears throat> the way we look at this is actually more with a broader portfolio view, uh, not just on Counter-Strike specifically, but what can we do as combined entities um, within, like, across all these different games and these different platforms and genres? Yeah, and so, to be... And to be clear, like there's a there's a bunch of different you, you, probably most of the people are going to be familiar with Counter Strike who are watching this show. But if you are more interested, if you come from outside of Counter Strike, the combo portfolio of ESL and Face It operates like Rainbow Six, Rocket League, um, now like Academy in North America for League of Legends, mobile games, StarCraft Two. Now Warcraft three. I mean, a bunch of stuff basically that you may not know uh, that they are operating. They are they are currently operating, and this combination will uh, presumably continue to work on those esports. Exactly, exactly. And I think uh, we we were discussing a little bit before the show. While we came a long way with esports and uh, Aussie, everything has grown massively in terms of like investments, uh, salaries. Uh, uh, scale of the events, scale of the audience, and so on. Um, we're still we're at the place where uh, further investments are required if we think about like the health of the ecosystem in the long run. And um, uh, those investments are not necessarily going to be able to be financed directly by revenues that that companies are generating in the space. Uh, there's very, I would argue, very few companies that are profitable profitable in uh, in gaming and in esports and we can talk about that as well if you guys want um so ultimately uh what we we believe that coming together we had a vision to re-transform the industry in the next uh, five to ten years um but of course in order to execute on that vision 
um, we we needed backing, we needed investors to uh, finance this vision effectively. So that's where we started, you know, going to market and talking with a number of uh, uh, different investors and and potential uh, uh, backers for for this project. And ultimately, um, Savvy Gaming Group is the one that emerged um, for a number of reasons, which I'm happy to to go into more details uh, uh, if you guys want. By the way, just for clarification for people who are confused, they might have heard, obviously, famously, I think it was in the late summer of 2020, there was obviously a deal called the Neom deal that was going to be with Blast in CSGO's a partnership and most famously, actually, with League of Legends in the LEC, by the way, not long after their Pride celebration that they'd taken place on their broadcast. If people are wondering, well, you're not conflating everything Saudi here, Thorin. Like, for example, obviously, someone could work with a Chinese company that technically has no direct links to the Chinese Communist Party. No, I'll just clarify for people. The this public in, uh, investment fund directly owns Neom. It is literally set up, founded, chaired, and continues to be funded, as far as I know, by the Saudi royal house. This is the Neom deal, but a bigger version of it. Let's make that absolutely clear. And Richard himself might be interested in this particular information. I know we'll know it already because this, if you, when you want, he was saying this is going to touch every aspect of your life. This exact fund is the one that just took over Richard's boyhood football club, Newcastle United. In case people are interested, I thought we should set that at the beginning. Yeah. In, in a deal that should never have been approved. Uh, it, it, you know, um, there's absolutely no way they should have been able to squeeze that kind of like corporate structure of the PIF and how they've scaled it through the proper person's check because, you know, there's a rule if you want to own a Premier League club, you have to pass certain criteria, one of which isn't being a fucking human rights abuser, uh, just one of the many. And yet, obviously, because this potentially could have caused an international incident, it's also got ties to Premier League football rights deals because Saudi Arabia are a big importer of football oh. broadcasts. There's there's so much money tied up in this that ultimately a blind eye was turned to all the fucking corruption that was going in to even get them to buy the club and the the king of saudi arabia was going to petition boris johnson if the move was denied so that's the level of leverage we're talking about with the pif uh that's the uh, saudi arabian public investment fund yeah, yeah. and but also to be clear on on when we talked about earlier that our potential deal with face it that deal doesn't come with any kind of editorial control by face it so we can continue to say whatever the fuck we want about face it, the Saudi Arabian government, whatever, that's part of the deal. Um, and also in the case of face it here, it's yes, while it, the same entity owns Neom because it owns everything that Saudi Arabia is investing in, absolutely everything. Uh, it also is different because it's not the Neom deal is operated by the Saudi Arabian government. And I think it's important for Mick to discuss the level of freedom that this new face it esl merger has in terms of running its own operations because that is probably a critical yeah. difference yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm going to say whatever the fuck i want about the saudi arabians and the saudi arabian government regardless <laughs> of what deals in fact i'd advise you right now you if you want say whatever you want don't, don't, don't invest if you don't want me to say stuff spoiler you'll never catch me in one of your embassies so don't worry about it i'll be all right <laughs> that's no, right no one's yeah. gonna there will be no muzzles don't worry no, no, <laughs> that was played by macho man randy savage in the spider-man movie won't ever be activated towards me thank you difference <laughs> here is that uh, one is a sponsorship deal, right? So effectively, they signed a sponsorship deal to uh, have uh, either Blast or uh, LEC to promote a specific project. And in that case, obviously, uh, these companies were going to ask 
everyone involved in you know working on those shows including the talent to actively you know associate themselves with those projects and and actively promote those projects um which i can you know right or wrong like you know people decided to speak up against it and uh took a, a very strong stance um that in this case this is completely different because effectively what they're doing is making an investment right even if um it's a you know full on acquisition of the companies effectively the logic is to uh have a return on investment by putting financial resources behind a project uh, but keeping that project completely independent and letting us the management of uh ESL and face it operate this company so there's no there's not going to be like a a marketing relationship right where we ask to push specific projects or specific uh, uh things because of this uh, what you're saying there isn't there isn't like a neom sponsorship deal trojan horse no. in this where you're going to like suddenly start advertising for neom on at iem Katowice. that's not the plan question an obvious question says who mick aside from you but all you've just done there is tell me. By the way, what you've just done is like when HLTV.org told me. Well, because we've now disclosed that we have like partial ownership by someone involved in Astralis, I promise you that they don't tell us what to post. Like, sorry, man, that ain't good enough, believe it or not. Like, that's not in any way a check or balance. And that is in no way like any sort of legal framework by which you, I am protected from you doing something. So what I would ask is this, right? Monty just said they bought 100% of the company, Mick. At the end of the day, if you own something 100%, maybe to dates like that, tomorrow they can wake up and do whatever they want, mate. You don't own any percent. What can you say to them? They they could, uh, for sure. But of course, at the same time, they understand that uh, if they take like a unilateral action of this kind, they're going to be alienating a lot of the employees. They're going to be alienating a lot of the talent. Yeah. And ultimately, yeah. they're going to destroy a lot of value in the investment they just made. So... It wouldn't be a wide, wise decision to, uh, let's see, affect change in that direction sure. in terms of like, uh, you know, uh, what, what their return investment would be on, uh, on, on the acquisition. Yeah, we just have to believe you, mate. There we go, kid. We'll take that as a premise for now. I I mean, the, the only thing you can hand. do is is watch it from the outside and look at the messaging, right? Like that's it. It really is just a wait and see that. Uh, I mean, I'm the, not the place. I don't know if you know where this money. I'm just a guy in a talk show. Like, I'm in no way going to like vet what they're doing in this company <laughs> sure. and stop them if they do anything wrong. I, like last month, everyone's trying to get me kicked out of the industry. So I'm not even in esports, mate. So then again, <laughs> those people were just about to get actual fucking blood scabbed money thrown into their coffers and go. Well, I do have to pay off that Xbox. Sound great industry. <laughs> I think we can so we'll get that. <laughs> we, we can say whatever we want today. Ultimately, the the only way to uh, convince the people that this, this is something good for for the fans and for the communities uh, with the facts. So I think you know we we all gonna see in the next couple of months, you know, if this was a good deal or not, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll show something good with it. So uh, I'll I'll say a, a few things just before we even get into the sort of debate because I just want to sort of like lay the foundations of the discussion. So the first thing is obviously uh, while we're doing this, Michele, you know, I might say some shit that's upsetting. Uh, <laughs> so I do want to say like you know I'm happy for you that you've reaped some success from what you built. I've known you a long time. We've come a long way since beers on a fucking beach in Spain. Super happy for you uh, if you're happy. Um, the other thing I want to say is obviously, 
uh, and this is a big part of the discussion we'll probably wade into, it's nigh on impossible to walk a consistent moral line in the modern world. Uh, sure, we're all outraged about Saudi Arabian human rights violations. Uh, then we go and we load up an Activision Blizzard game where their executives, in between apologies to the Chinese government, um, are molesting women. And we use their entertainment products to, you know, pass the time. Then we turn on our favorite esports team and it's sponsored by some shady unregulated gambling company from Russia, literally funded by a crime syndicate who probably chopped up some fucking Albanians that morning. And then, you know, it's okay, don't worry, we've got America riding to the rescue. So even if we get past American foreign policy, which is incredibly fucking difficult because, you know, we have the U.S. Army and the U.S. Air Force sponsored our events when we have yeah. serbian talent working the events when they drop bombs on his fucking family at the events and he's got to sit there with a shit-eating grin on his face like this is all right because of moral relativism or something we then okay let's separate our fucking let's separate our minds from the american government let's focus on american corporations who you know they release a flavor of ice cream called fucking orange man bad and then they're spot and then they're owned by unilever that are using child slave labor to get the raw materials to make the product that you woke cunts fucking purchase the virtue signal the whole industry is fucking disgusting and it's been disgusting for such a long time i think we've really forgotten like how it used to be and my problem is that we needed to, we could have been different, but we didn't. We chose to be sports. This is sports. Saudi Arabians, Chinese, Russians, all of these people own everything in sports because what they do is they throw money down and you go, yes, please, sir, can I be wealthy too? By the way, the only barrier of entry to being wealthy in esports is just your principles. Just have none and you'll be fine. You'll get a lot of money. So, that that's the barrier to entry people say oh yes can i take it and while you're taking that money wherever it comes from whatever heinous acts are behind it because there ain't a dollar in regulation that ain't got blood on it right you're, you're normalizing it we're talking about that we're talking about formula one we're not talking about gay people being executed so it's a problem but it's an industry-wide problem and i don't even think you could be morally consistent i say a talent all of the time don't grandstand on one topic because then you have to do them all and you have to do them all consistently yep. and be on the same side and you will never be off your fucking pulpit and the moment you don't speak up about one this community you're trying to help will turn on you and say you're a sellout and a hypocrite and a scumbag it's a fucking lonely road and a surefire way to be in a pariah so all of that said, I'll also just tack on to the end, and I know this is a weird way to sort of just put this out there when we were in talks with Ace. I can't take a bloodstained dollar. I have to try and walk that impossible line. For me, I won't do it. It stains the soul. I'd rather die poor with my soul intact. That's my take. It's not for everybody. I won't condemn those that don't, but that's how I'm choosing to live. So with all of that said... I don't know if this is a fucking cause for celebration that this has happened, a cause for concern. It's just another rotten day in a rotten business that's been rotten for so long. I can't even fucking process all of it. I'm just fucking disappointed.
Here's my issue. I'll sort of tag it on to Richards. Here's the issue. If you know just basic things about the world you currently live in, and as he said, the entertainment ambiance and technology, I'll give you another one. As everyone typed all those mega woke tweets against me a month ago, they did so from a smartphone that they know cannot actually be built in this realm without literal like child slave labor, mining out fucking dangerous minerals in areas of the world in which constant political instability is actually propagated to make them, getting those minerals cheaper and not have to come through a government which would then do some sort of like trade tariff etc with foreign governments like these things happen all these things happen just to allow you to have your pc your fucking playstation your phone your, your smartwatch your games everything that you have right now comes from that so my issue is this I know you cannot work in this industry. I don't think you can work in media without interacting with essentially fucked up money sources. Except here's my problem. At least do me the fucking courtesy of putting a few layers of abstraction. At least do what Nickel and Nihon does for fuck's sake. At least try and trick me and make me think it was a different company and use four shell companies and say it's some random investment group I've never heard of. And then like at least make it so it'd be a really hard job to find out where the source of the money is. When the money is too direct, that's the reason why the one issue I ever took a public stand like that on, aside from things like ESL just fucking stealing people's EPL slots, was the Neom deal because there was no there was no separation it just was the people who were the royal family doing a project in which they essentially bragged that they were going to displace slash that's the fucking code word for kill nomadic people that lived in that area and what was the big flex so they could create a 500 billion dollar economic zone fuck everything about that project it's garbage why would i want to in any way be connected to that? you haven't even like i said you haven't even given me the fucking reach around of at least hiding who you are you're just going lex luther incorporated will be bringing you a new eSport like fuck you you don't even get you know you don't even that because by the way I'll tell you why they don't give you the good grace of the reach around because that's dominance that's showing you I don't even have to I'm fucking you in the ass and I ain't giving you the reach around mate it's me Lex Luthor who's doing it now take the Lex Luthor money and let make everything you ever said worth nothing make it just a hollow fucking husk of a human just saying things relative to who pays you so my issue is that I hate it when there's no fucking level of abstraction and then secondly this is the worst one the people who I hate the most to the, uh, the fake virtue signalers because you know what you know, if we were doing a hierarchy of who's the worst right the worst is people who like to do fucked up shit and who say nothing right then it isn't actually the people who say oh I, I publicly don't care no 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 the ones who don't care come after the evil ones the worst ones are the ones who pretend they care only for social credit and then the second it ever costs them one penny one opportunity they turn and essentially betray the people they claim to have stood for they're the worst of them all uh, well they're not the worst the ones who do the crime are the worst they're, they're right there with the demons as far as <laughs> I'm concerned like they're the scum folks that's why if you notice my whole thing hasn't been or oh, all my friends who are commentators you better not work with yourself no, no I've never said anything like like that what i've done is i'm going to give the fucking work to every one of those walk virtue signalers who now will work with esl who now will keep working with these projects who in a few months are going to flex all the colors of the rainbow for nothing for nothing they actually stand for the second they need money the second they want to have a job by the way even just to appear on an event in a children's video game they'd like to work they will sacrifice every one of their principles those are the people i'm disgusted by because as richard said like at the end of the day you have to just leave esports if you don't want some level of this taking you it's going on some level taking you yeah it is and, and I think is not the, whether you know the price is worth it for you that's what you have to everyone has to determine that for themselves by the way i'm not here to determine that for you because as richard pointed out if you wanted to be like purely ethically correct you'd have had to quit about 10 years ago yeah, and it's also true just of globalization yeah. in the world in general. Like I it's think it's not a bug, isn't it? They want all the money to be blurred in so you can't escape it.
Yep. And, uh, you know, we see that we see that with, you know, in the broader gaming industry with Tencent owning 100 percent of Riot and owning big chunks of like Epic. I don't think they I mean, I, they shouldn't own any of Activision Blizzard anymore now that the Microsoft deal is done. Um, but I, I think in in this particular case, too, it's important to note that with the ESL employees before anybody goes out and starts like harassing ESL employees. This would have only been known at like the highest levels of ESL because of this potential stock price manipulation that could have happened. So, you know, and it's not the e it's not the ESL employees fault that the company was sold. Like this is this is just another aspect of everything that happens in globalization is like one day you could be working for a publicly traded Swedish company and the next day you're working for the Saudi government's investment fund. Like you don't have control over that. So, uh, you know, it's not those people's fault that this happened. And to Thorin's point as well, I think what's so fucked up about this space is not only all of the shit that they mentioned, but the fact that people who work in this industry were so willing to take have the worst possible interpretation of posts by Semler and Thorin, and then dogpile individuals in the name of virtue signaling. And as soon as it comes to the fucking money, just silence. You know, it's it's actually shameful that people will say nothing about giant companies. Companies aren't people, but they will go after individuals in this space who are pillars of this community and have proven for literally decades now that they operate in good faith and should be given the benefit of the doubt. That is to all of our colleagues who did that, that's fucked up. Period. <laughs> Don't do that. And and here's the thing. It, the joke could be if the Saudis just said, act one, nobody in ESL is allowed to virtue signal. I'd go, maybe there are some upsides to this deal. Well, you know, got to take the rough with the smooth. Like, at least that'd be doing something in the fucking culture, wouldn't it? You know what? Hit me up, fucking Albimed or whatever your name is. Fucking, let's get a convo going. I'll, I can, I'll get some ideas for you. I've got some fucking bangers for you, mate. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's let's move back to this and talk about what it, what exactly this means for the structure of ESL and face it, because there are going to be questions about what this means, because now we've talked about this on an ethical level. And I think we're are, are we done oh, talking about? It no, I, I don't. No? I, I don't. All right. I don't, I don't think next? we are, because I, 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 we need to explain a few things. So obviously, you know, I, I, I've got a lot of Muslim friends in my life and Saudi Saudi Arabia is going through it is it seems like a meme it is going through a, a pretty big transformation one of the arguments you will see presented about deals like this is that actually Saudi Arabia is becoming more progressive and you know there since 2019 I mean it's a continuation of things they started in 2015 2016 when women got the right to vote I think in 2015 I think it was with the previous uh, King, and then this was continued 2019. Women got the right to drive. I know this sounds like a fucking meme, but you can't understand how historic this is in this country. They um, have also, I think, you don't have to wear a hijab in public anymore since 2019. I believe that rule was introduced, so women can go out without a head covering now. Uh, so they and, and this has caused a lot of consternation among the people. There, are, there are Saudi Arabian people that like this move because they want the freedoms of other cultures around the world, and others have said that this current prince is too liberal, too crazy, encouraging haram. He's going against our very conservative interpretation of Islam. Which, by the way, he says the inter current interpretation of Islam. It, he repudiates it. He says this is not 
the way it was meant to be. So he's on record as having said that. A lot of these people, by the way, in the public investment fund don't even spend the majority of their time in Saudi Arabia. They live in America. They travel the world um, to make business ties, and they are more open and more liberal and engage in practices and behaviors that certainly would be considered uh, controversial at home. That being said, the problem with sports washing and why it exists in the first place is it is a way to shift headlines to something positive. It is a way to essentially buy positivity in spaces where negativity could exist, as well as make some money. What you essentially do is if you own an entire sport, if you're essential to a sports ecosystem, no one in that ecosystem can ever speak out against you because then you're just cast out. You can't exist in the ecosystem. You won't be allowed to. You will have to go somewhere else. And when they invest, obviously, universally in almost every sport on the planet, that's a problem for anyone that wants to work in sports. But this doesn't alter the fact that for all the progress that's been made, for all of the fact that it's just money, it doesn't alter the fact that, as a matter of course, the Saudi Arabian government tortures people. That's considered an acceptable punishment. They even, you know, they, they still amputate people like some medieval shit if you get caught stealing. They were the leading, uh, they had the leading number of executions. Um, there was one mass execution last year, 37 people killed in one sitting. They have continually oppressed activists within their own country. Uh, if anyone knows, sorry to say this name because it might be triggering for you, uh, Rafe Badawi, if anyone remembers that case, this was someone that was critical of uh, clerical interpretations of Islam, um, and they imprisoned him for 10 years for uh, being an apostate and sentenced him to a 1,000 lashes to be served in weekly increments of 50. He only got 50 in and then fell savagely ill and there's been all sorts of amnesty international and stuff involved with that their views on homosexuality they simply do not recognize it interestingly enough there's even a schism in islam because if you go to iran iran doesn't seem to have a stigma around trans people because they believe because it wasn't directly condemned by the prophet it, it, it therefore cannot be wrong and so you'll find homosexual men in Iran very often have to go through a transition just to live, to be safe. In Saudi Arabia, they don't even make that distinction. It's all completely forbidden. People go to jail for it. I've already talked about how they're making progress by allowing women to vote, by allowing them to drive, and allowing them to go out without a head covering. On top of that, uh, there is rife, off-the-book slavery going on, uh, the abuse kind of, of migrants. Right? They, they claim publicly mm. that it was outlawed like decades ago, but as far as I can tell, millions of people, there's some sort of weird loophole where they do essentially exist as slaves, right? Yeah, and, and so they've created an essential form of indentured servitude and they use it as a legal loophole, so they can't actually be sort of... Because they outlawed slavery in the 60s, I believe it was officially outlawed. Uh, you know, which is a shocking... But again, if we start getting into geopolitical moral relativism, there's some other countries that have got problems, isn't there? But anyway, all of that is going on. Like, now, um, you can't make a charity that gives 
uh, money to people, uh, to gay people, to same-sex marriage, to people with HIV status. Uh, they ban human rights organizations from entering the country. All of that is still going on at the behest of the Saudi Arabian government. Whether or not they fucking invest in esports, whether or not they're more progressive, whether or not they have a good handle of tech, whether or not they will allow the tourists to have a beer in their country without being sent to jail. That's the problem. And the, the, the issue is esports is, I would say, very progressive, despite what the naysayers say. You know, it's got most progressive from all different, the world, right? Yeah, it, it's got people from all different backgrounds, all different cultures, all different gender identities, all different sexualities. And and we all, whatever, again, fuck what the naysayers say. We all make it work. And actually, people like me, who just grew up in a shithouse mining town, I would never have met some people from the backgrounds and the identities that I have because of esports. It's enriched my life. I don't see how it is compatible. I don't see how these two things are compatible. But let's not pretend that it's just some sort of, oh, well, hey, it's not Neom. In a way, it's actually worse than Neom because the Saudi Arabian government is essentially washing the blood off its hands and saying, no, we are just like you, but they are not like us. Our values right now, as things stand, are fundamentally incompatible. And I can't shill for that. I can't shill for a government that's going to take a gay person and put them in prison i can't say hey isn't esports great and then when an esl event in saudi arabia happens and they have to advise gay people not to publicly hold hands we can't be part of that man like for real like i can't i i won't i will not do that so it is a problem the ethical side is the biggest problem I've got two questions, actually, and they're both for you, essentially, Richard. But the one is, one goes like this. One of my issues with this whole topic is that I actually believe what Mick's saying. I believe in the short term, they were told these companies, look, we don't want to have any control. You know how to run the business. We're just here to invest. It'll be part of our portfolio. And over time, you know, we're going to build up this tech vertical, maybe. And, you know, one day, maybe we'll have, like, stadiums. And that can interact with the tournament organizers. can interact with, with the grassroots effect of players come up through face it. And then we'll have this women's league that'll promote diversity. You know, we're very interested in what you Westerns are interesting that might be all well and good at the beginning my problem is this right i've seen how this plays out in my favorite sport the nba with china yeah. what happens is at the beginning when you're small fry you can say whatever the fuck you want they just want you they just want to own you once they own you suddenly lebron james maybe the best basketball player ever can't actually publicly say anything about china in fact if he even intimates any level of displeasure he will have to come out and like a soviet show trial publicly apologize denounce himself essentially and is like, in fact, the joke is, if people don't know, the same LeBron that was getting mad tilted that anyone implied he should shut up and drivel, then essentially sort of retreated to the position of I'm just a wacky basketball player. What do I know about geopolitics? When it was about China, bizarrely, not his own country that he lived in. So what I'll say is, first of all, I see this coming down the road. I can just see the bloody stop. It's like five miles out, four miles out, three miles. We're at two miles out now, by the way. We're coming. We're only a couple of steps away from that. So that will mean in the future, the joke is, actually, it's going to take care of this problem for me, Richard. I won't have to hear any of these virtue signals ever mention Neom again. They won't ever mention anything to do with Saudi Arabia. That will be taken care of by them receiving enough of these checks. But here's the question I have for you, because it's an obvious thing people are going to say 
here. And I actually think, I think I have an idea where you stand on this. I want to ask you it because I actually think this opens the door that it isn't just Saudi Arabia, is it? My question would be this. People might say, Richard, well, obviously many big companies in gaming already were purchased by Chinese companies. And as we saw recently, no matter how much obfuscation was attempted with those companies, Riot's the obvious one, Tencent, not only directly, I believe, have a CCCP member on the board, but they even had that bizarre like thing happen to them last year where they were just told, like, sort of give back, give like even more of your profits to the government because you made too much. So my question would be this, how do you resolve, like to you, is it a similar thing? Is there a distinction between when essentially the Chinese government's involved with these things and the Saudis? How do you resolve that in case people think there's some sort of like a, a contrast well, that doesn't make sense here? Let's be clear. I think the Chinese government is worse than the Saudis. By, you know, I, I, that's, it, it's very hard to kind of like create a hierarchy of evil. Um, you know, I mean, again, the American president just fucking murdered seven kids with a drone and didn't even get a negative headline because America's got fucking state media that would make North Korea proud. So, you know, where do you, how do I create a fucking hierarchical system in my brain? You know, all I know is, put it this way, right now, in China, there are internment camps with Muslims in them that are being re-educated for the good of the fucking nation, having forced sterilization put upon them, and the women are then given to Chinese businessmen as a reward. It's fucking sick. It's depraved. And the Chinese government is telling anyone who mentions it that we will cut off your fucking money supply. And this is when you start finding out who's got a backbone and who doesn't. Spoiler, no one does. No one cares. The American press, by the way, bought and paid for, you know, fucking you've got outlets like New York Times, just loads of Chinese advertising oh, space purchased up, right? So how, how, how much of their fucking front page are they going to dedicate to what is a humanitarian crisis occurring in China that is co-signed by corporate entities? Let's not even get into the fucking abject racism that occurred out there during COVID. There was literally a curfew on black people in certain cities that I noticed just didn't get fucking reported on at all. And of course, mysteriously, whenever Disney's got a big product, the black person's just airbrushed off the yes. poster. This is the world in which we live, and I'd wanted esports to be free of it because we could have chosen yes. that. We could have chosen that. Mick made a great point, and I know he's just sat there looking sad at the moment, and I commend his bravery for coming on the podcast once more, so I'll bring him in at this point. The original sin, where we fucked up, we took all that VC money, and then we scaled up our business so much with the tens of millions of unsustainable dollars, we then had to get in bed with the devil. The devil was the only cunt left that had the money to keep this fucking house of cards running, because we refused to create a sustainable industry. That's the real problem. That's the travesty. It's it's not only that, Mick, and I promise. We'll, if you guys had just watched Facebook, this wouldn't have had to happen. That's a joke, obviously. But it's all, it's already half a joke. But, but also, you know, here's the other thing, is that esports in the early days was on the road to a sustainable pay-per-view model by independent tournament operators. And things like the GSL back in the day in StarCraft, things like where I used to work at OGN, where we did the Korean League of Legends and HD was subscriber only. By the time Riot made OGN stop doing that, they were making a million dollars a year off of those subscriptions. They were one of, if not the highest subscribed channel on Twitch in 2013, and that was made to stop. And it was purely funded by you guys, the fans. And thank you, OGN Legion, for doing that. But the problem is the devs came in. Here is here is the here is the flow of what happened. The devs came in. They said this is a marketing exercise exercise. It's free. Okay. All right. It's free. The devs are footing the bill. No problem. Right. 
And then they sold franchises. And all of a sudden, hmm, weird. Now the teams have to make money from this, but how can they? There's no media rights deals because Twitch has a monopoly and nobody will pay for the media rights. Twitch isn't paying shit to anybody for esports broadcasts or tournament anymore. That's not how sports works. That's not how making money in sports works. The NFL just signed a $100 billion media rights deal, guys, and that's what helps fund the NFL. That's what makes money, okay? And on top of that, no one's willing to pay for it, and the developers, as a marketing exercise, offer no transparency to the teams. Now, the developers know if you're logged into your account for the game and you're getting drops through Twitch, they can literally see you're getting those drops. Then they can look at your account and they can say, wow, this person spends X number more dollars than the average player who doesn't receive drops. They have a direct correlations between esports viewers and how much money they're making. And guess what, guys? They don't share that money with anybody. They don't even share that information. No one knows outside of the developers what that information is. So the developers just take all the money, the teams get none of the money, and that's how we arrived here. And I know everybody here, Richard, me, and Thorne have said this constantly. The biggest problem is that the fans are unwilling, and I, I've gotten so many tweets about this, unwilling to even pay five fucking dollars a month for your favorite esport. Like, I used to pay 20 bucks a month to watch the GSL in 2009, yeah. and I loved it because it was like 80 hours of content a month. It, it felt like a great value to me, frankly, and I liked supporting it. But it's you, you know, it's you guys who refuse, who think you deserve this for free. This is the result of that. This is the result of the venture capital. It's the result of the developers putting things for free. It's the result of the fans refusing to fucking pay a dime to about the industry you care about. It's all you know, it's, a great it's Twitch's monopoly, it's everything, and that's why we're here. There's a quote that goes something like, every dollar you spend is a vote for the type of world you want to live in. Well, the joke is you guys never spent any money. You just sat back, spent nothing, made enormous social demands, and then you wondered why, to give you all this free shit. Turns out the local mafia boss was paying for it all, and now everyone needs to shut the fuck up about his extracurricular business activities. You know, like, guess what, that's, this is the end result. Oh, congratulations to the fans, everybody in this industry for getting us here. Shout out to Twitch. Shout out to Riot. Shout out to Activision Blizzard. Shout out to all you fucking guys. That's why we're here. That's it. Anyway, I do think now we just heard a lot of horrible shit. However, I do think that we we do have to talk about what this is going to mean for the future of Face It and ESL, because there could be some good that comes out of this, obviously. Like, this wasn't done for no reason. And with this money, there there are going to be immediate benefits to the community that wouldn't have existed otherwise. And I think Mick should talk about that. And also, later on, we need to discuss, especially for Counter-Strike fans, the ESL Monopoly was already pretty bad in that scene. And it we'll, we'll discuss it. Because let's, just now say, let's just maybe say interesting pro projects. I think saying good in this context is a bit gross. Sure, like, oh, you know fair. what? They are doing all those like, human rights that's violations fair. and murdering people, but there is good that's come from it. Look, a new tournament in Counter-Strike. That's not really good in any kind of moral <laughs> sense. You know. <laughs> that's fair. Let's say, let's say interesting projects that weren't possible before. All right. So, Mick, what is this? Let's start with what is the structure of the new company? And like, let's talk about I think you should talk about the independence from the actual fund here, because it's not yeah, it's it's not like Uber is being puppeteered by this fund. No, exactly. 
Uh, yeah, so the the company stays independent. So they basically bought into the vision that we have for you know the company and the, and the future uh, of esports, and they bought into our values as well, which are not negotiable, and that was uh, clear from the from the very beginning. So um, that said, in, in terms of the structure, um, ultimately it's a merger uh, with the with ESL. Uh, there's going to be a new management team with um, uh, Nicolo and Craig being uh, co-CEOs. And let's be clear. Company. Sorry, let me let me unpack this. So Ralph Reichert, who is in charge of ESL, is now moving onto the board in an advisory role. Uh, Nicolo is the CEO of Faceit, for those of you who do not know. And Craig is Craig Levine, who you may know as Torbel. He's an old OG esports person uh, who is one of who is in charge of ESL as well. ESL executive. I don't know. Actually, no. What is, was he CEO of ESL? What was his former title? Oh, CEO of ESL. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So exactly, that's going to be the the management team, and then obviously um, the teams are, are are coming together. Effectively, uh, nothing is going to change Im- immediately in terms of like teams and structure. We already started some cooperation, and uh, we're going to intensify that um, over time. Um, but ultimately, so the goal is to take the best of, uh, of, of both companies, right? And uh, the plans are, are pretty ambitious. So um, the idea is to actually scale up um, and, and have more people, more resources joining the company um, pretty, pretty quick, quickly and pretty soon. In terms of like impact that people um, should expect and can expect, uh, overall, the idea is obviously to invest in the in the scene and take a, a bit of a longer term view on the, the type of investments that we do um so what does that mean exactly for example if you're uh, <clears throat> under pressure to to deliver results um as a company you might uh, think that uh, the, the best thing to do is to create another tournament have another competition have more uh, hours of content uh right that's well, in the ESL's case, we, we use content in quotes, Co- content, but yes. <laughs> and, um, and so that's not, you know, that's not going to be the, the logic at this point, because effectively we're not here to try and look at the next quarter, but we're here to try and look at uh, what's going to have the most impact on, let's say, let's say Counter-Strike, for example, which is a game that we all care uh, a lot about. Um, what's going to have the best possible impact on Counter-Strike in the next five years, in the next 10 years, right? So what are the areas uh, where we need to invest? For example, and we did a, a blog post on this. Um, uh, people can go and read with uh, all the details. So for example, with, um, with Counter-Strike, we're going to be focusing on uh, uh, doubling down and investing more on um, the grassroots level, right? So uh, what, what's going to happen to face it in the SCA? Obviously, that's where a lot of the players a lot of the fans are, are playing today. First first of all, like I've seen a lot of questions online. Um, it's not going anywhere. Like we're not gonna shut down ESCA or anything like that. The two products are gonna exist and they're actually gonna be working together where effectively we're taking the best of uh face it, what face it is known for. So like you know, solo, the matchmaking, FPL type uh, product. And uh, we're taking the, the best of ESCA, which is uh, team leagues and cash cups, so team-based competition. And we're further uh, investing into, um, into these programs, both to amplify into, in regions where we already have a, 
um, strong presence, but also like to support uh, regions that uh, need more investment. Like for example, uh, North America in, in this moment. Uh, so, so and, and to be clear, to explain to people who don't know, who don't come from Counter-Strike and who don't know what the Faceit platform is and why this is important. So ESL operates the majority of the events and has a lot of partners that have bought into their system uh, on the esports calendar. And then Faceit is a platform on which people play. So if you're not used to Counter-Strike, they offer anti-cheat, uh, better server experience, matchmaking service, uh, amateur competition and tournaments. And so basically what this does is it unites the the kind of aspiring amateur scene and that platform on which millions of people play Counter-Strike and other games, but mostly Counter-Strike, and then unites it with an actual like massive professional circuit. I did already um, exist though once. It was called ESEA. Yes, but it was much smaller than Faceit's platform. I mean, that's even the detail Mick talk about. Aren't they merging the two products now? Isn't it essentially going to become one, right? No, uh, no they're going to be two separate products, but we're obviously going to unlock the efficiencies between the two. So, for example, the anti-cheat teams are going to come together so that we can have a better anti-cheat, uh, taking the best of Faceit anti-cheat, ESA anti-cheat. Uh, obviously, that's something uh, the fans care a lot about. Um, then in terms of like user experience, we want to streamline that as well. So for example, we'll get to a point where you're going to have a unified user account between Faceit and ESCA with all your stats and all the information and profile and so on in one place. And then um, uh, eventually even uh, have a unified uh, subscription model where you can have one subscription that gives you full access to, to both platforms and full functionality on both platforms. So this is just like, you know, some of the first steps that we're, we're taking. And of course, um, I think the, the other big part is uh, with the face platform, uh, we are first and foremost like an open platform, right? So it's not just about like the competition, the tournaments that we organize, but we have tens of thousands of uh, community organizers, all sorts of organizers that we support um and we're gonna keep investing in supporting them this goes from like you know small local communities uh, all the way to partners like blast so we actually are providing server technology anti-cheat technology and support to all the blast events and we plan to continue that we we don't want to discontinue that we we think that it's important for us to have a healthy ecosystem have competition in the ecosystem and uh, that's what we're going to be promoting Effect. So a company that's basically the rival of Blast is also providing through a company within its portfolio the actual technical services that Blast runs on. Let's let's also be real. They'll be buying Blast in the next one to Seems two. Seems obvious. Yeah, I hope they buy everything just so it makes all the virtue signals. Well, they've said they said in the press release, you know, the the particulars were there that they wanted to spend thirty billion over the next five years. So they're just getting started. You know, hey, be, some, be, of you, some of you are not your integrity too cheap. Hold on a little bit. What about those fucking yeah. diamond hands? Hold, hold. No, be 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 under oh, no illusion. Be under no illusion as well. Like I mean, you have to understand. We were nearly in a position where it was Tencent that did all this. Well, they sort I, of did in certain esports. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, let's, let's not so, forget that they have a huge investment in mobile esports as well. Uh, you know, they own all of Riot. They own what, like forty percent of Epic or something like that. So, thing is, though, the joke is, 
like the Chinese government actually told Tencent, like, well, you just calm down with all that. And so that's why they actually haven't bought more stuff. And people don't know they yes, actually told they weren't allowed to make more games even yeah. at one point. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. That's actually a real thing that happened. While, while the uh, the Chinese government just harvests, harvests their profits as well. So pretty, pretty, pretty messed up situation. So the, 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 when we when we look at the actual structure of this new company and when you talk about North America, now obviously that's that's gonna be a big point because I would say that one of the core problems with esports right now, it, well, with CSGO esports, is that Valve is not willing to invest in like grassroots actual esports scenes, which is part of the reason why North America fell apart in CSGO. Yeah, we're going to be doing that. And uh, the, the fact that we have this long-term horizon allows us to to make those investments. Because obviously, like, uh, grassroots investments don't have uh, a direct uh, return on investments as you would have on a, on a big tournament or, you know, on tier one competition, right? So it, it's capital intensive. And um, But now, you know, with this new structure coming together, uh, we, we do have the resources, the willingness to to make those investments to further the scene for the next three, five years. And what, what are the, what are the long-term goals when it comes, like what's the vision that the new ESL face it brand has, if you're going to be ambitious about the money that you're spending in the space and this enormous injection of cash, what, what, where do you see this all going? Yeah, I think, uh, of course, is to create like stable ecosystem across different titles, right? We're, we obviously look at Counter-Strike as uh, w one example of an ecosystem that um, has a lot of good things, but also needs a lot of work still. So uh, definitely Counter-Strike uh, is a good place to start in terms of uh, furthering investment at the grassroots. I haven't even talked about like... Uh, the tier one stuff, uh, but of course, there's going to be a lot of investment going towards uh, improving the quality of the content rather than doing, you know, more broadcasts and more calendar space. It's more like, you know, quality over quantity investments. Uh, there's going to be a lot of investments in editorial and contents as well, so that we can finally, you know, produce those nice pieces of content that can really enrich the the, the entertainment experience um of the fans watching and it's not just like you know uh the usual broadcast where you're just like jumping from the analyst desk to the casters to the game to the casters to the analyst desk but have actually like a some meaningful content uh around it as well and um and then the regional uh expansion as well so uh we think in in, in counter strike uh there's definitely room to uh to do a lot in terms of uh supporting uh, other region i think there's been some some announcements around uh, um more initiatives in uh, in latam as well um around this deal and um there's going to be a lot more coming up now okay you know i talked about canon strike you asked me about the the broader company vision i think the idea it's but the two things are not like too distant because Counter-Strike is really an ecosystem where um, we have the strong synergies where uh, all of the portfolio of big events that ESL has um, and all the, the, say, the grassroots that we have on our platform can really create a, a virtual cycle where effectively we can connect more of the, the player development and talent development to big events and bring them to big events. And then um, we can use the big events also to promote 
more um, platform activity and, and drive users uh, into the grassroots. Effectively, that's the model that we wanna we wanna take and we wanna scale and replicate across different game titles. Um, and um, yeah, so that's the that's the vision really. And, and ultimately. Yeah. And the concrete Sorry. part of that is like going into taking some of the, the amateur players, featuring them at esports events and show matches, offering uh, rewards for people to watch esports on the Face It platform. So it's it's basically connecting everything in order to create a cycle of developing more competition and players on the platform. At least you well avoided saying the word metaverse, so I'll I'll applaud you for that. No <laughs> metaverse. No. I think I would have fucking thrown up if that got banned in <laughs> No one even knows what the fucking metaverse is. <laughs> anyway, um I I think I think what the concern for a lot of people, myself included, is about the the CSGO circuit, because I think that one of the the criticisms, if you're an esports fan, has been of ESL, is that first off, they take up, you know, in, in a space that's supposed to have multiple different operators, uh, you know, compared to Blast or Flashpoint, for example, ESL takes up like 40% of the given days in a calendar year, and that's before holidays, before player breaks, before other tournaments. Um, and... I, here, my opinion is that a lot of these events, especially during the pandemic, were beefed up insanely in terms of format. It was basically just nonstop games. There was really no differentiation from one event to the next. They all just looked exactly the fucking same. There was very little content. It just it felt like ESL was just trying to get as many viewed hours as possible at the yeah. lowest price possible yep. and that. One of the problems with the CSGO circuit, one of the fundamental issues is that the storytelling is so bad, there isn't connective tissue across the entire circuit when it comes to content. Um, it's hard for the average person, unless you're a really hardcore CSGO fan, to even know like what's important, when's the next event, where is it going to be broadcast? And my my personal take is that it would be much better to slow down the the pace of events and actually have a proper build in terms of content and hype into those events and do real storytelling because CSGO is the best esport in terms of viewer experience. It is the best by a long shot in terms of the big esports right now because the barrier to entry is so low. Ergo, if you had better storytelling, you could probably get more fans involved. Who knows? Maybe ESL now can even pay people talent rates from the last half a decade yeah they were up to some shenanigans chance would be a well. fine thing chance would <laughs> be a fine thing <laughs> so like what's your reaction to that because i know nick like obviously we've worked together on flashpoint because face it was the you know the production operator of flashpoint and so what is that like what is your take on esl because i think that many people feel that way about ESL's productions. And what we saw before the pandemic was like, oh, we're going to have this in Malta and we're just going to centralize everything and then we'll just fly out to the cities for the playoffs for our various like IEM or ESL1 events, and uh, which was also, you know, a cost-saving measure. But I'm in favor of closed, like closed studio shows, you know, for group stages. I think it's the best way to operate things. So I don't really care about that. Um, but yeah, what, what's yeah. your take? I think I I uh, I would agree with you, and um, uh, at the same time, obviously having uh, had a chance to spend more time with the with the guys at ESL and 
and understand a bit better how they approach things. Uh, I also do understand why they, you know, they made some of those uh, choices in the, oh, yeah? in the past. In- enlighten us. <laughs> I mean, I kind of like hinted at it, right? Like, uh, if you're uh, if you if you're under immense pressure for short-term results, then uh, you're gonna you're gonna choose the path that is different uh, from the path that you can choose when you have an abundance of resources and you need to build for the future. Um, that's a that's a key point, really. And I think uh, on a lot of this um, those choices. Um, they're not like done in a you know in in a happy way, right? Like I'm sure they. I mean, I know that they um, always had the inspiration to invest more uh, in into the content, into the editorial, into the building the storylines, um, and even like um, into uh, at least uh, recently uh, create a more inclusive ecos- circuit and ecosystem. Like that's something we we actually hinted at. Uh, in uh, in the announcement, uh, um, but ESL has been uh, one of the promoters with uh, other big organizers like Blaster, uh, uh, Lad, and so on in trying to uh, come together and have a unified uh, ranking system that can work across all the different events. Right? Um, Are you really picking uh, up the ESL ranking right now? That one that where they no, got no, five the players who never played together and they made a team saying, and they were top twenty. What what are you referring to here? Like what ranking are we talking about? Are you saying they're gonna make they're gonna make a consolidated it's a future project? There's, like, an, intention, there's an intention, yeah, to have a neutral okay. like a ter- you know for the uh, whole circuit and everyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Which is which is by the way something that Flashpoint uh, you know was trying to yeah. do with the CSPPA as well. Uh, and it, it is absolutely necessary because, like, the problem with the ESL ranking is obviously it's incredibly biased to ESL events, which makes it more or less useless for determining, you know, on an open circuit, which teams are the best. So hopefully there will be and I, I assume that will all be transp- the, the everything will be transparent about that ranking in terms of how it's calculated and and uh, the way that it is evaluated against the broader circuit, including other non-ESL events. I have a question for you, Mick. When you keep using that term sustainable, I'm really confused by what you mean by that. Because to me, it's, well, it's it's an English word. It means it can sustain itself. Like it doesn't yep. need to have external things put in. It can generate, for example, the resources to run, to pay things, to essentially to live. It's like a perpetual motion machine in some sense, right? I would say, I don't know every business that ever existed like that. If I can tell every business in every market is short term based on supply and demand and what the malls of the day are, what the products of the day are. But I would just ask you this. Right at the moment, if we asked why isn't esports sustainable today, it's because there are almost no revenue models. There's the sponsorship model. Your your company actually is a, few, a rare example of a company that can make money other ways. You do have people who pay you to obviously play on the face it platform, etc. There are a few angles. There's a, an incredibly incredibly tiny merchandising business in esports. Ticket sales, again, incredibly small amount, doesn't even pay for the event. If we put all this to one side, the question basically is this. This basically is just, from the outside, an enormous version of the cash injection that people have had in the past with this old equity for VC. The difference is, instead of getting 5 million, 20 million, you're getting a billion or whatever it is in this case, right? So how does that money, like, presumably, it was just not enough money in this scenario to make it sustainable. How does that money get converted into, like, the industry itself working, not just, you know, going burning through a billion, as it were? I think it's a great question, and uh, you're right. We're not there in terms of like uh, revenue streams right now for the industry. 
Um, of course, we have uh, right now we have uh, sponsorship and brands, um, and that's accelerating. It's it's ac- accelerating pretty fast, especially during COVID. A lot of uh, non non endemic brands got more and more interested into the space, and they're coming in. They're writing bigger and bigger checks. So there's a, definitely a positive trend there. Um, on the other hand, if you look at the the media rights and like the the engagement uh, that people have with content online, like the amount of people, like the amount of eyeballs that are watching, the amount of hours watched and so on. And then you see on this, the other side, the, the output of, of that um, engagement, uh, the monetization that comes from those media rights, it's uh, absolutely insignificant, right? Yes. So there's already like a huge problem there um, that needs to be solved. And it's not going to be solved, uh, you know, quickly. Like, uh, and we don't even know. We don't have the silver bullet, right? To solve it. It's not like uh, we can just say, like, okay, from tomorrow, it's all going to be pay per view. No, we we know that pay per view. It's not. It's not the right model for this. Like, you know, it's been tried. Like, you know, well, it could be results. I mean, so here, here's here's the thing. Frankly, like, I don't believe in pay per. Oh my god, he doesn't believe in pay per view. <laughs> he went away. Goodbye. Oh, did he like out? He just liked a second. Yeah, 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 he'll be back. <laughs> he doesn't even believe in fucking view, let alone pay per view. He's just fucking pulled the card, hasn't he? <laughs> I'm sure he'll be back. I'm sure he'll, he'll be back yeah. shortly. He, uh, he, I hope he hasn't gone back. the same way as Kishogi. <laughs> He's back. He's back. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah I can hear you. Can't I see you. Like... <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, yeah, that, we can hear you. All right, here we go. All right. Yes. So you don't. You were okay. saying you don't believe in pay per view. Why? Yeah, because uh, at, at this point, like, uh, it's about scaling up the numbers, right? We need more people uh, yeah. to engage with the with esports and uh, putting a paywall in front of the content. It's not a. It's not a good way to be inclusive. Let's say, like, you get more audiences. And also, like, if you look at traditional sports. Um, they're actually starting to move away from the pay-per-view model, right? I mean, slowly, but, you know, cable TV is, uh, is a huge decline. And, you know, yeah, they, they, they do have, like, some decent pay-per-view on OTT platforms and so on. But that's a very different audience. It's a very different demographic. Yeah, but everybody I pays think... for streaming platforms, Mick. Yeah, no, but what I'm saying is, like, maybe, you know, the solution is um, more towards a freemium model where... You know, you can enjoy the content for free, but if you're a super fan and you want to access something special, you want to access something unique, um, then you can pay for it. Um, so mean, that that might be an avenue. I'd right. also be real, Monty, right? Like what, what Mick isn't saying, and we all know this because we're industry people, is you surrender all your competitive advantage of having a giant sugar daddy slush fund if you then start charging people for the product, even if it's a reasonable amount, even if you get the whole point of having the slush fund is you can give yes. it away for free, get yes. them hooked, <laughs> then you jack up the fucking price. So, you know, look, I'm, 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 and you can play chicken with all your rivals. Let every other person who doesn't have this fund burn all their VC money while you're yeah. burning through your billion. Yeah, That's yeah, another yeah. little game plan, of course. True. But I, I do think I do think in the long run, though, that when you I here, here's here's my take on the, the monetization problems. I don't think I think the best possible solution that you could probably never get everybody to agree to is to put is to get Activision Blizzard, Valve and Riot all on the same page to have a live streaming platform that offers all of the games and the revenue is divided amongst views and you charge a subscription to it. 
That's well, all you've got to do there is get the government of Saudi Arabia and the government, the government of, China of China monkey together around the table. <laughs> I don't... You can you can be the Bill Clinton in this peace process, and you can you can bring them all together. You know, I can, I can, talk, about, I can talk about all the things. They <laughs> I, have in, I, I can talk about all the things they have in common that Richard discussed yes. earlier on this show. We'll build the bridges through blood. Anyway, um, I'm just saying that that I, new you know, fucking Shelby, whatever it is, that new um, what's it even called? That place, fuck that new. Where do the Simpsons live? What's the name of that place? Springfield. Springfield. Where, the new Springfield fucking monorail is going to be sick, though, that ESL's making. So I'm looking. That's something good coming out of this. They're going to have the monorail. That big escalator that goes to the top, you know. I do I do think, though, that, like, you know, that's a huge problem that needs to be addressed. Uh, and I think the only way to do that is to offer value through an actual platform. And, and to Mick's point... Because people are used to getting everything for free, you have to provide real value in terms of what you what you're charging them for with other content. I don't know if there are enough hardcore esports fans to actually pay for this content, but I do believe that in the long run, if you created a streaming service that had a bunch of different esports on it, which certainly even without Activision Blizzard and Riot, ESL and Face It could do because they operate a bunch of different esports already. And that's where the broadcasts were, and it was paywalled. But also on top of that, your $5 a month or whatever, which is your Twitch subscription, which I don't even understand people in this fucking, like the fans, because it's like, I am going to subscribe to, you know, Tyler One for $5 a month, but I can't possibly pay $5 a month to watch all of the Counter-Strike tournaments. You know, it's yes, Monty, you've, you've actually accurately just uh, diagnosed the industry. The industry is less competent at marketing than Tyler yes. One. <laughs> it's true. They right. create a more authentic brand yep. experience that makes his yep. own fan want to shell out money than any of these billion-dollar value, well, in this case, literally billion-dollar valued companies we're talking about. That's how incompetent. It's almost like some 48-year-old German boomer isn't the idea guy to be down with dem kids and getting them all to pay the money is it but, it's but almost I think he can only trick fucking saudi sheiks into paying him the money are you all right like okay look so there's a fundamental thing that goes right to the heart of this and everything that's happened recently and i'm sure i know duncan's familiar with this concept i'm sure you are too monty it's what they call the greater fool theory are, are, are you familiar with this i'm not oh okay so the greater fool theory is basically you buy assets at stupid prices solely to have them because you have a belief that you can then sell the asset at a higher price to a greater fool. It's the greater fool theory. For as long as I've been in esports, that's just been our modus operandi. Of course. Yeah. We're so essentially cryptocurrency theory. before. Yeah, exactly. We're essentially cryptocurrency and NFTs before they even existed. Yes. What we've done is we occupy the territory because we think it's going to appreciate in value, and you send out dickheads in suits to go on junkets, sometimes with Saudi Arabian princes who've got more money than God, sometimes with games development companies, sometimes with VC groups who've just got off their last fucking micro-dose and they think they're Jesus Christ himself. And they and you say to them, you give them a pitch and you say all the buzzwords, you know, you fucking talk about that demographic, they all love that 18 to 25 disposable income demographic, they fucking love that. And you talk about how it's the hip new place and ooh, digitization and content and attention economy and all of the phrases and they write you a big fucking check and you go laughing to the bank what you'll notice is and this is the criminal thing this is why esports is in the state it's in remember all those ogs that said they loved it 
They all fucking sold up after 10 years. That was yep. the problem. We lost all the gatekeepers. The first time they were truly tested, they took the money. And then once it goes to a VC group, the, I don't necessarily begrudge the original seller. You grinded for 10 years, you built something, you flipped it. Fair enough, right? But then the next person, they're waiting for the greater fool. And so when Mick says this is sustainable, what he means is this fund can bleed out at a slower rate than any other conventional VC fund. In fact, if you, if you know how these VC funds operate, they're not planning for five years even. In some cases, they're willing to go to three, the third raise of capital, another 60 million dropped in the bottomless pit of esports with nothing to show for it. And then they go, you know what? Doesn't bother me because on the great roulette wheel of international finance, I placed another 10 bets and eight of them come in. So it doesn't matter that the esports venture fucked up and failed. So all that's happened now. In no world is ESL worth a, a billion. In awesome. no world. In no world. It was only purchased for what, 78 fucking million euros or whatever it was in 2015. And it's lost at the beginning money of 2020. Well, wasn't the original sale to that Chinese streaming company like 44 million or something? Like that number's gone. Oh, yeah. Look how much it's like over 100x. <laughs> so they've come in. They're the bigger fool, right? Except they don't think they're the bigger fool. They think they're going to scale this up somehow. They're going to take a billion, sit on it for 10 years, and they believe the industry's going to advance so far ahead, they're going to flip it to someone else oh, for 10 watches. billion, for yeah. 60 billion. Just exactly. like Mike, just like Activision Blizzard. D despite everything getting bought for fucking $95 a fucking share price by Microsoft because they just want to occupy the territory because metaverse or something. Our industry, it could, it, it, it's one of the most unsustainable nightmares I've ever seen. It's all lies. It's all bullshit. To call it a bubble is fucking delusional. It's garbage. No one's built anything of any meaningful stance at all. Everything withers and dies because it doesn't have revenue streams. Yeah, it starts with the fans. It also starts with every dickhead who just wants to fucking swan around in a sports car making deals with venture capital groups. The business is fucked. Yeah, but it's completely but, fucked. But Richard, I think this is actually the only way to unfuck the business. Weirdly. Truly. What? Taking a billion yeah, dollars from the fucking I would argue with government. Richard with the... Uh, with this, uh, in in this case, like uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to disclose the exact number, but uh, the ESL face group generates like revenues in the hundreds of millions. It, there were there were I will say this, Mick. You you say nothing. There were reports that I saw around. I'm sure, you this do. But said, I, I don't that, believe you're massively profitable in any fucking universe. That said that the revenues were two hundred million dollars of the new company. That is what was reported. Yeah, revenue. That's before you yep. take away all the expenses, all the tax, all the rest of it. So the joke there is you give me a hundred dollars. No, this is a growth industry, right? Like it's it's everyone is investing right now. Um We've been I, I doing think... that for nearly two decades. Where's the problem? That's how it works, This is the way to come. <laughs> this is the issue I have right now, right? My experience in the industry is every time anyone gets anything approaching a monopoly, in the case of people like Riot Games, they have a monopoly, but ESL was approaching a monopoly. What happens, Mick, is the opposite of what everyone will try and spin me now about if they have a load of money and all the great projects. It's not that they pump in more investment to the talent and let them tell the story. What they do, Mick, is this. You don't have the best talent work at ESL right now for their CSGO project because since they have a functional monopoly, they don't need to hire the best talent. There's no game in town. 
whoever they put on their screen is the de facto best talent because the other talent do not have jobs they have nowhere to go there's only one other game called blast and that is it if you're not on blast spoiler they're doing the same thing as a result what you do is when you have a monopoly well that's the problem mate you haven't figured out how to make your money yet so you don't want to take all that billion and start pumping it all in what you want to do is like richard said you sit on the billion you use it strategically to bankrupt your opponents by spending yep. more when you need to and when you don't need to like when you've got a monopoly over the csgo circuit i've seen what happens in riot games i used to make more with my side gig which was doing csgo analysis on desks than riot casters who were full-time made for their full-time job doing the whole year casting league of legends in the biggest tournaments in the world that scenario hasn't gotten better by the way the last few years i would have been two three times more than them and this is as monty and people like that help pump their money up by doing actually by the way funny enough like talent th things where you go out publicly and you try and use negative pr and set, but the problem I have is this. I find as soon as a monopoly exists, the guy with the monopoly, he has his, his boot on everyone's neck. He just actually bleeds everyone right at that point. He just makes the rates go to nothing because at that point, you're happy to be on the event. It's the only event in town. And now it's a thousand euros instead of the thousand five hundred or the two or wherever really, it was going. You can't really compare Counter-Strike and uh, League of Legends though. Uh, Counter-Strike, uh, the, the AP is owned by Valve. You, you know, by definition, you can't have a monopoly if the most important uh, piece of this ecosystem, which is the IP of the game, is controlled by a third party. And Valve never let the monopoly happen in Counter-Strike. While on the other hand, with you know, the whole thing. So it is a de facto monopoly. Yes. Well, I mean, they're fucking, they're not saying anything about this. And they're not going to. And they don't give a, let's also be clear, Valve in, increasingly don't give a fuck I'm about sure, anything. Mick, they, surely Valve must have given their blessing to this. Like, there's no way this deal proceeds without any kind of tacit approval. Mate, you're if, you, if you're talking about a deal of with ESL, we, remember last time ESL tried to have a monopoly in the league? They waited until fucking they had their annual holiday in Hawaii, Valve employees, they go to Hawaii every year, and then they got all of the partners into a building, and all of the teams in a building, it was the Twitch building that hosted it, I know because I brought the story, the sneaky cunts deliberately tried to do it while Valve won fucking holiday. So let's not fucking pretend all of the particulars will have been done and ready to go. They were going to do this whether or not Valve gave it a fucking little chef's kiss or not yeah but they could have stopped it no they can't they can't they all they can say is we won't give you yeah, csgo as an ip yeah exactly that, that <laughs> so, would be disastrous that's for pretty everybody. material that's pretty material <laughs> <laughs> yeah but again it would be disastrous for a normal company that needs to make money in the space no, it would be disastrous because well, it's, it's not only the esports side; it's the it's the user base. Like they have to have access to CS:GO in order to operate the platforms. The second Valve outlaws CS:GO's dead. Yeah, if if Valve thinks that we're a bad actor and pulls the license, then you know. But, well, can, I mean, you know, they can decide. Irrespe irrespective of that, Valve aren't going to do that. They cannot. They, they, they can never say that they can't. But basically, they've sort of let ESL out with impunity for how long, anyway? You'll notice all of their moral objections to all the shady shit ESL have done down the years, right? Which I know it's weird because you're listening to me talking about the shady shit ESL did, Mick, when you used to be like, obviously as angry about the shady shit as I did. But you know, it's unfortunate. You're, 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 
Yeah, ancient history. You're in an unfortunate spot now. History. But look, R- R- Richard, he might still be mad, but he can't throw his new colleagues under the bus. And also, he could have no. every intention of changing these things. Yeah, 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 for sure, right? Whatever. La La Land, etc. But like, look, at the end of the day, right? Here's the reality. Evolve, ca- right? When you dominate 80% of the calendar and aggressively position yourself, and also, you are one of the few, I don't want to throw this word around like it's a compliment, competent operators in the space, i.e., you can get a phone call call on monday valve saying uh, someone's dropped out can you run a land for us on the weekend you know you've got five days notice esl can go and do that they've got the infrastructure they've got the expertise they've got the reach they've got the finances they've got the equipment so uh, valve need esl and that's why you're uh, uh, certainly in csgo and that's why whenever esl get a bit naughty Valve never slapped their hand over any of the shady shit they've done in CSGO. They didn't give a fuck about the fact they tried to have a fucking functional monopoly when they were on holiday as it pertained to CSGO. They didn't give a fuck about the Louvre agreements. They didn't give a fuck about all the other stuff they've done, refusing to play nice in the calendar. They've let all that slide. They didn't even care about the Facebook deal. And then the Dota 2 community complained and suddenly it was bad. Fuck Valve's involvement with CSGO. Fuck all of that. So they were never going to pull your card, Mick. Never in a million years. That would require whoever, the one person left at Valve that cares about CSGO to wake the fuck up and smell the coffee. Look, guys, Mick wouldn't be here if he didn't actually give a fuck about changing things. He wouldn't be on this show. Like, oh, I know I, that. You know, not, it's I'm, like, come on. Like, we'll just say, Monty, you did start the episode by pointing out he might be about to invest in a company with us. Sure. Just yes. going to give you another motivation as to why he might want to come on a show where we have branding that's, ourselves that's... as people of integrity who call out people who are scumbag actors. Probably not a great idea to go, you know what, Monty? I don't think I can come on that show. By the way, can I still buy the company? Like, give me a break, that's, man. That's that's fair. But at the same time, I think we like we have to give him the benefit of the doubt because we've all we all know Nick's positions over the years. Benefit right? of the doubt means he's allowed to give his opinion. I, We're allowed to too. say I disagree with that. And I don't think that makes sense. I don't have to agree with it. I definitely do not have to agree. You don't have to agree. <laughs> This is the Stanford prison experiment in fucking esports, and Mick has become the jailer now. All right. So Monty, Monty told me, come on, he's going to be nice. No, but I want to say this. <laughs> no, I didn't believe you. Don't worry. Um, I, I would say this, like in the, in the last couple of years, we actually didn't compete much, if anything, with ESL. If you if you think about yeah. it, yeah, and and this deal and this merger doesn't really <laughs> doesn't really doesn't really add anything in terms of uh to the count to the CSGO calendar, right? It's uh, nothing is going to change from a CSGO calendar standpoint with this deal. I mean, I hope it goes down. Frankly, I hope there are I hope there are fewer. If like I I know this is crazy, but like I hope there are fewer events, and some of that budget is rerouted into hyping up those events and marketing them properly, not making players play till two a.m. and like over jamming your schedules and your formats, which. And I know you said this, but the reason why... that's actually going to change. Imagine you think that's even anywhere on the, the yeah. fucking... The, and by the way, I can tell you, at least there's one less tournament in the circuit this year. So there's a little bit of space. So, I, no. I think, but I think that looking, looking at what we're talking about with ESL, it's that they did these things, as, as we discussed, so that 
they they count they owned everything and so that no one else would have any other time to do anything at all and it and, sounds like what Mick is saying is that that tactic <laughs> is no longer going to be used ah oh, monty this is one area mate where me and you will never be aligned the idea that they're like look they only had to fuck everyone up the arse and stamp on their throats before they had total control for it no. now they've got total control they're going to be really cool to everyone i'm not saying that i'm saying what what mick was saying <laughs> i don't the, the way you think it is just like okay. i can't help myself <laughs> but it's but thorin it's not about it's not about what anybody says here today can, it, it all is going to come down to what actually happens in the future, right? Okay. It, Mick has said that's not the intention. I'm not saying that everybody should trust the new monopoly. I'm just saying okay. that we can't evaluate it. What we're <laughs> what we're hearing. Anytime you say in sentences like I'm not saying everyone should trust the new monopoly, like you know, which side do you want at that point, money? That's all I'm saying. You know. Look, I I think that in the long run, and to, to Richard's point, well, Darth yes, Vader's has done a lot of bad things. But he wants to make the galaxy a new, more <laughs> inclusive place for everyone. Jedi, Sith. Every, everybody's included in the Empire. Exactly. Yes. Listen, we've killed all the Jedi we wanted to. But if you're a Jedi out there, just come forward. It's an amnesty. Come forwards now. Everybody's the same Jedi. in the Stormtroopers, you know. Everyone's the same. Actually, the younglings. Get, you can... <laughs> no, but, but, but it's, like... It's hard to, it's hard to you know, we, we will have to see what the facts are but, going to be but, in the coming months, right? Yes, That's exactly. That's the reality. And, 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 you guys, are, you guys are like, I've seen this before. The rates will go down for casters, which obviously we all care deeply about. But guess what, guys? We're going to hear about that. And then people here are probably going to be the one to break those stories. So, I, I mean, we're just going to have to see how it goes. I mean, I'm not yeah. doing that for the next 10 it, years. What, you guys can if fucking bleach yourselves. You say, like, it's true. <laughs> you're going to have so much material for your shows. You're, you're set for life. Yeah, that's a great angle as well. Look, if you're like you can love how incompetent our regime is. We're going to be fucking yeah. every week. You guys, get, let's get ready for this, boys. On, on, awesome. a, on a serious note, right? There are there there like right now. Okay, people might not realize just how much territory this merger essentially does occupy, and that is that we knew ESL occupied eighty percent of the CS:GO calendar. But remember, we're talking about the totality of ESL. ESL, as I said, are a go-to uh, tournament organizer. They have ties to a lot of games publishers. It's not a surprise, by the way, that the CEO of the company that's just bought ESL and face it is a former vice president of Activision Blizzard. The jokes write themselves. We'll move on. Um, but on top of that, it's all the other games they're in. It's all their offices. It's all the. It's their. It's their pugging system. It's ESEA. It's DreamHack. I mean, if anything, I think the portfolio is really bloated. And then on top of that, you now add Face It. Face It themselves, essentially, a production company, a pugging system, a tournament organizer, ties to Flashpoint, you already heard there. They help Blast out too in some capacity. So what happens now when they buy Blast? And I say when, not if, because that would be the next logical place to go. I'm also going to tell you something that, that everybody needs to know. These companies, companies like Blast that produce this amazing product, on their fucking knees financially. They probably oh, go to bed every night praying that the Saudi Arabian the public investment fund the, the is going to deal, buy them. That's why the Neon deal took so long for Blast yeah, to, to, yeah. to turn down. They were literally sitting there like hunkering down being like, will it go away? Will it go away? Mm. And like it took a lot longer for the, and it took LEC disavowing it for them to disavow it. 
Yeah, and even then, they just gave some sort of glib, wishy-washy statement. They needed the money desperately, and they wanted so badly to hold on to it and not have to surrender it just because of the weight of public opinion. They thought they were going to style it out. If you remember at the time, they went some insane, like, 10 days without even making a public statement while they were in the, their biggest PR storm to date. So my point is, what happens then, when, especially for CSGO, but it will apply to other games too, not all of them, but certainly there will be, I could see, for example, this company, this conglomerate operating the Overwatch League in a year or two. Because Activision Blizzard have fucked that up. Unbelievable. And I think they'll look to palm it off on somebody. So what happens in CS when they buy Blast and a few other territories, they'll have to get themselves like, ooh, a games publishing platform as well, a streaming platform. You'll have to have the full set of toys. What happens to talent that they don't like? What happens to people who work in the industry they don't like? What happens to journalists that have written critical things about them in the past, still getting a press pass and coming to the events? History tells me, absolutely not. And so whenever I see these, th these convergences of uh, concentrations of power like this, makes me incredibly nervous because I have never seen anyone in esports wield them without being petty losers. It's yeah, pathetic, our business. <laughs> that right? is true. So, so, seriously, it's a big issue. Right now, there's a lot of CSGO people that are fucking staring into the abyss, future-wise. And sure. there's nothing Mick can say. There's nothing that, hierarchically, the structure will change that's going to alter that. And also, let's be real, as was, let's, I'm going to suspect an entire intention behind this. This will be used, as Richard said, to move the needle on news pieces when it is the right time to do so. Because Zoomers don't really care about geopolitics. If you can distract them with a different story, oh, look, they've launched a new Fortnite league. That's how you get them. So the joke's going to be, in the future, whenever the Saudis catch an L, they'll just add a GBTQ++ to the end of it and just fucking rizzle-dizzle the way out of it, won't they? So problem solved. There'll just be a new initiative for women or gay people or minorities or something and that'll magically right, take the headline e it'll become the esports thing and that's all we'll know in esports well, we won't know whatever happened with some other project here and this thing going on there or some violation no one will give a fuck because their shiny games will be popping ding 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 and they'll just go and look at that instead that'll be one of the main reasons to do this because that's the real joke behind this whole thing it isn't worth the fucking money right now right now what Richard said is the only actual business model right now until you make it sustainable spoiler nobody's come anywhere close what you do is you're just waiting for the next idiot who wants to pay you 10 billion for what you just bought for a billion you go phew I was wondering actually if that was going to fucking work out or whether I'd be the idiot that sold out for less and then you sell it to him for 10 billion and the joke is either one person cracks fucking liquid fusion as it were and he makes it sustainable and he gets all the benefits and it becomes a trillion dollar industry or that doesn't happen and one person at the end end up catching the holding the bag of a company that was sold for a few million for then tried for 40 million then for a billion then for 10 billion and someone at the end just loses 10 billion dollars that's how it goes at this point in time it, it'll be one of these mega conglomerates, by the way, it'll be a big games development company. Yes. Uh, you know, remember, Activision Blizzard was so fucking there, their fingers so far off the pulse and all the way up their fucking ass. They nearly bought a Zubu. They had talks about it. Yes. A Zubu was a fucking warehouse and everything was white labeled was silly guns. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, because I mean, they did buy MLG TV, hilarious. Yes, and and why did they do that? As we know, it was to flex on Twitch and say so we've got our own streaming platform now. That well, was it. it was, and we'll take our games off your was, platform if you don't pay us 90 million for the Overwatch yes, League. It was, it was basically, to be fair, they actually made money in that. It was actually very clever of them, but because the threat to Twitch was, you know, they basically just made Twitch scared. I'll never see money like that. that. 
ever again for that product. I'll yeah, tell you that. It, it did ruin a lot of stuff too. But I, yeah. do, I do think like uh, it could absolutely go the way you guys are saying. But I also don't see another way out to sustainability besides to have investment like this because we had sustainability. Remember, going back to like GSL, OGN English, we had sustainability. We had it. Then the devs came in and said, oh, it's all free. And now we're in this, now everybody, independent tournament operators are in this situation where they cannot charge for the product. And so the only way to do it is what Mick said, is to spend money in the short term in order to make it more premium to justify monetizing it. <laughs> Think about this. Think that's about all, That's the business. only way out. This is what an amazing business esports is. We need a billion dollars to help yes. us make $10. Yes, it's true. No, I, but like, it doesn't make sense, Monty. No, how many? Does. How many billions did it need to be? What if it was just hundred million? Would that not be enough to make a special of recession vibes? <laughs> Dude, this as far as I can tell, you are the most American person in this chat right now. You are actually just printing money to get out quantitative easing. You're doing esports quantitative easing. No, no, no. It's 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 just that there isn't there isn't a way to charge for the product because of the way the developers have set up the industry right now without putting more money to make the product Wait, more premium. BSL wasn't giving away all the fucking Counter-Strike for free and then wondering why they can't charge for it. <laughs> they have to give it away for free because of the way the developers yeah, set it up. It's called painting yourself into a corner. You don't then yeah. at the end go, well, what bloody idiots painted me in this corner? Now I'm going to have to have a billion dollars to get out, aren't I? My, my, well, I'll tell I you the agree whole with you. But the, point, the point is we have to deal with the reality. We have painted, the industry has painted itself into the corner. Okay. This, is, this is a fact. This is a fact. But I don't see a way to get out of it without having additional investment to improve it and also to have systems in order to grow the audience because that has been one of the core issues. One of the, the key problems is that conversion between players and esports viewers is fucking terrible in every esport. And everyone will look at games like League of Legends and be like, look how many millions of people watch this. It's still like 3% of the audience. Of the or the player base of the game, and that is a huge, huge issue. And so the combination of the platform and the actual broadcast and plans to really do grassroots stuff is the only way to develop a larger audience for the eSport and to have that synergy. And it, investing is the only way to break out of the cycle where you can't make premium content because everybody's in so much fucking debt. And if you don't have the premium content, you can never charge for it. You can never get the big sponsorships, right? Because you need premium. If you need something shiny to show car companies. Here's the thing though. You're missing, yeah. you're, you're missing another, sorry, Mick. I just want to make this point quickly. And uh, you're missing another outcome that could actually be a benefit to the industry. And I've said the opposite many times, but let's do a thought exercise. What if the businesses that can't be sustainable, what if they stop just being given more and more money to support their unsustainable model? What if we just let them fucking die? I am sick of this attitude that certain companies are too big to fail, like they're banks or something in esports, because what are you telling me? What, no one's going to rise and fill the gap? You don't think Blast would immediately expand and occupy more of the space? And maybe then, you know, suddenly problem, we've got to expand to where it's... Uh, what? Eventually, someone just... has to crack the nut on a long enough time scale, you know, like the monkeys at the typewriters, going to write Shakespeare. But the problem is no. we recycle the incompetence and give them more money. That's kind of true. But the problem is, is that the deck is stacked against independent tournament organizers because the developers are making money from marketing that is untouched by the actual esports industry. And so it affects everybody in this fucking space that no one 
actually gets a piece of that pie who's a team, who's a player, who's a tournament organizer. And as the, Richard, the problem is the devs. And like, yeah, you could say, like, oh. let's let these failing things die. But that causes Counter-Strike to fail because nobody, the devs aren't propping it up with their marketing budgets in the same way. They are sort of with the majors, but not a lot. Not the way it is in other games. And so your universe just results in only dev-operated esports having any esport, which fucking sucks. Two things here. I think in terms of like how far away from profitability uh, we are, it's actually not that bad. Meaning like uh, ESL even had some uh, some quarters where they were profitable. Uh, face it, uh, just before this was uh, was profitable. So there's like you know. It can be done, of course. Like, uh, uh, in terms of like the investments you can make in the space, that's gonna, you're going to be limited, right? If you wanna, if you need to achieve that goal, you need to be profitable. You need to break even. There's only so much you can do in terms of like extra money you can invest into it. So, um, uh, it's you know, of course, like uh, we all recognize that we need more investments. That uh, uh, this needs to grow with investment, but at the same time, the business model are maturing to a point where we can get there um Mate, you the were point... literally in flashpoint with me like over like just over one year ago where the entire premise was this project must exist because esl is going to bleed out esports like some fucking codependent bitch going off the edge of a cliff steering the wheel while you're trying to correct back on the road but now literally you've put on a different hat with a massive sack of saudi money and esl's this close to profitability what the fuck are you talking about mate you changed well, your I've... tune Things have changed. I mean, obviously, like... I, I can see I, that. I can bloody see that, mate. How many zeros? <laughs> How many? How much? How much? Why do explain, Doran? Is it, I, is I, it I the yachts and have not... Have, is it have nots and the yachts? Things have is changed, not, not from that standpoint, but more like, a, you know, I, I think ESL has changed a lot in the last couple of years. And also, I had the chance to go a lot deeper into understanding their business. Um, so from that standpoint, things have changed. But no, the other point on the publisher, I think it's also super relevant because I, I think you're right, Monty. Like the problem, one of the biggest problems right now is that the publishers don't still don't quite understand how they should deal with this esports thing, right? They don't know if it's a marketing thing, if it's, they nope. should start a franchise and, and try to make money out of it. Well, they're and, doing both. Like the, the joke is, is that they kept they keep all of the money that is, you know, all the whales that are on their games basically spending more money as a result of esports never tell anybody about it and then they also charge the franchise fees like that's the joke is that the developers make all the money yeah and look uh, i think in a, in a way it's true right like uh, the, the developers are getting a lot of uh, uh value from from having a good esports ecosystem it's been proven that has a huge impact on on player retention on user acquisition on monetization like all yeah. the the key KPIs for for a game publisher, um, but the the reality is like they they haven't really integrated it into their strategy in a way that is, um, um, I would say like you know, <laughs> so sustainable like what and with the right balance between like a, what's the level of intervention and oversee that a publisher should have on the ecosystem versus like uh, how much of it should be an open ecosystem, right? We. We were talking about Valve and we're saying, uh, you know, uh, all the things that uh, we don't like about Valve. But I think actually Valve is probably the best publisher in the world. The best, easily. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, it's not a fucking high bar. 
it's you know it's true the bar is low but they are the best <laughs> I mean, my analogy was always this oh. it's the difference between your parents beating you or just not being around i'd rather have the ones that aren't around it doesn't make them parents of the year though does it you know <laughs> just saying all right Mick, continue <laughs> uh, no i mean my point is like yes we we you know we don't have perfect parents uh, but we can uh i, I think we can uh, educate them right we can uh, we can get to a place where uh at least you know publishers now understand that they do they need to do something about esports uh most of the time they do something wrong about it but you know more and more they're you know going to start looking at what sort of models are out there you know what kind of like a resources they have available to them to try and understand and structure their thinking and their strategy and i think uh, that's where uh, we have a lot of um space to to try and you know have an active role and and help them and guide them into building a battery ecosystems for the games it's also the fact that the the sales opportunities are much better with this new company because the scale is so much larger because the pro the problem with e with esl is that esea and their platform was much smaller than face it's face it's problem was that they're they're they couldn't sell against as many tournaments or big events as ESL across all of these games. And so the merger allows them to sell across both things simultaneously, which in terms of profitability will result in larger deals. So from the sales perspective, the inventory is now, I think, much more interesting to large corporations because they're getting the casual, well, not casual, I would say competitive player base on the platform on the ladder, as well as the ability to have premium, uh, ads on esports broadcasts is that fair mick yeah absolutely now thanks for saying that that's uh that's exactly the one of the the key pillar of the strategy like we need to by creating the the right proposition for for publishers and developers for for the player and the fans then ultimately we can unlock more value for for brands and sponsors and that's that's what's going to help us uh, solve that uh, monetization issue that we have right now with esports. And I think that's key because this this is literally, at least from a business perspective, this has literally never happened before uh, because we don't, as far as I'm aware, I'm trying to think maybe the Louis Vuitton deal, I'm trying to think with Riot where they put it inside the game. Um, but even then, that's different than having a purely competitive platform like the combo of Face It and ESEA. And so we haven't really seen deals be able to be sold like this before. Um, and they will be significantly bigger deals because the numbers together are huge. And the thing about these marketing deals is that it's not like linear. It's not like you increase the scope by 2x and you get 2x the deal. Oftentimes it becomes much more valuable to, than 2x the deal because it's just a one big marketing spend. And I think that when it comes to esports in general, one of our huge issues has been that we simply cannot, we, we're not big enough to sell to a global marketing budget like Coca-Cola or Toyota because it's just a blip. And part of the problem has been getting enough content together in one place or enough ad inventory, enough value in one place in order to be able to sell that. And I'm curious, Mick, if this also means that with the, the Louvre agreement teams, with the EPL teams, is there an effort to sell across all of the teams at the same time that you're selling across all of the tournaments in the platform? Because to me, that's the big, big deal that could actually move a lot, not only you guys, but a lot of the teams into profitability as well. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm not 
as familiar with a Louvre agreement to tell you if that's a, there's a provision around that. I think they do have it uh, around uh, at least certain uh, certain categories uh, where they have like you know they they work collectively to to find deals um, uh, together. Um, what I can tell you in terms of like a, a monetization for the teams. Um, there's a big effort on our end. We're already partnered with a number of uh, large esports teams, uh, and we created um, ways for them to build their communities on the Facebook platform and uh, find ways to to monetize the engagement of that community as well. Um, so we, we run the first uh, couple of case studies now uh, with the uh, Navi and, and a few other teams, and um, um, there is also really promising. So that's something we were planning to open up to more and more organizations. Uh, and uh, hopefully this is going to be another avenue for esports teams to generate revenues from, um, from their fans and, um, and, and move towards a more sustainable business model. And also with what you are saying though, Monty, here's the issue though. If I'm the guy that you're talking about in this business meeting and I'm saying, instead of just selling, just say ESL sponsorship, I've also got a platform. I've got a full spectrum approach. You can get all, right. Here's the problem with that. Do you know the, when that's going to get you the best deal ever when you're the only one who's got tier one counter-strike tournaments, if there's any other game in town, immediately they can undercut you. That can be a vehicle by which the sponsor himself doesn't have to go to the same level you do. So it's in your interest actually to buy up your competitor blast in this game. Flashpoint, you don't need to buy up at this point in time. You buy up all the best ones. Now, when you go and you get that massive deal, problem is companies like this aren't about me and you, Monty. They're there to make money for their shareholders. So when you make this mega deal, why does even one drop more go to the teams? I'll tell you what, less goes to the teams. Here's why. Because now when I'm a team, there is no place to go except Louvre Agreement. I have to play in those tournaments. You can even say, by the way, technically, you could play in the majors without them. No, I can't, because where would my seeding for the major come from if I don't play in ESL tournaments? How would I get invited to an RMR potentially if I'm in a situation where I don't play in any of the ESL tournaments in the circuit? It's the only circuit in the year and then we have the majors. So actually everything that a team does, I'm now more dependent on ESL and this massive thing, not less. And at the moment, the Louvre agreement you can go and people can deny this all they want. The Louvre agreement became better because of the existence of Flashpoint to directly compete against That's true. over the deal. So if there is no Flashpoint, we have a worse Louvre agreement now. And if it's a monopoly for ESL, I think that deal potentially so, gets worse. Unless either the team orgs can band together and battle against it, maybe. And by the way, that's if you think this is bad, I'm talking about the poor little team orgs are going to have a hard time battling ESL. If you're a player, forget about it, mate. I've already seen, like the joke is, I should have known ESL worked with scumbags and people who only have a cynical profit ethic anyway. They already partnered with a fucking CSPPA, didn't they? God forbid a player ever gets another fucking squeeze of blood out of that stone. It ain't happening, mate. So Except I for think, all the intentions. I, 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 I don't think Sorry. Valve would allow this scenario to exactly. exist. Exactly. It's not realistic. It's not realistic, the scenario you painted. Like, if Valve were never allowed to have a, a single operator controlling the entire Tier 1 ecosystem. Of course, right now we have last... Uh, there's a few other organizers as well. You would argue probably a bit smaller. COVID uh, hit pretty hard. A lot of organizers, we know that. Uh, but you have uh, majors as well. So I can tell you for a fact that if um, um, if you know ESL has too much, like a EPT has too much of the Kandar, all of a the sudden they will have like no more majors. Like all the majors will go to other organizers. Um, and there's always like a ways to for for Valve to balance it out. Even if uh, 
everyone feels like they're they're not doing it. They're actually watching pretty carefully. Valve does give a shit. Just, in my interaction, they do. With them. They do give a shit. Yes, and and I think uh, on the other hand, also again, like this is my word, but um, this is where we come from. You know, from Facey, we have thousands of organizers, and we've always been propping different uh, types of organizers from you know the small guys, the local guys, all the way up to to Blast and even E League. Richard, you know this, right? Back in the days, I was in Atlanta like every other week uh, trying to help yeah. these guys set up their shit, right? And at the time, we even had ECS, right? So people might think like uh, they were our direct competitor, but that's not how we think. We think that, you know, having good people coming in and building good products, it ultimately improves the overall ecosystem. And if the overall ecosystem grows and improves, and we are, you know, part of the infrastructure of that ecosystem, then we're all going to gain. That's the mindset. That's the approach. And, and also, like, so we, A League Flashpoint. Actually, you know what? You guys partner with ES. I think it'll take care of itself. <laughs> agent, face it, activate it. <laughs> the sleeper agent. I, I, I look. I think that. I think that when we when we look at this too, we have to consider that most leagues are functional monopolies, and like there is no problem with like Formula One or NFL's production, who have two of the very best produced you know, sports on the planet. There's no problem with talent getting paid. There's no problem with monetization, you know, because like you're saying, Thorin, they can, they have a functional, they have a literal monopoly in certain cases. And the, you know, the NFL is like kind of exempted by the American government. Sports leagues are exempted, exempted in weird ways from a lot of antitrust. So even though you could go form a, a competing football league and you know, XFL has tried and all these other things, it becomes very difficult to actually meaningfully compete against these bodies. Now, the key difference is that these are owned by the teams, right? Re as opposed to an entirely separate venture capital fund slash government slash whatever a lot of these publicly traded company as ESO used to be, right? Biggest middleman of all time, effectively. <laughs> so yeah, and I think like yes, like the the but the NFL also doesn't produce its own stuff. It sells the media rights and it's produced by other people. But it hasn't stopped it from being a premium product, and it does allow the NFL or the NBA to have a very competitive pricing model that makes it profitable, right? right. So Cody, that is an argument. Less than 10 minutes left. So maybe we'll just give him some final thoughts and then- Well, let's let's uh, talk about, and I want to talk about NA a little bit because that's okay. actually something <clears throat> tangible and face it, has a studio in Los Angeles and NA has been really, I think, devastated by the, the COVID pandemic and Valorant in terms of CSGO. Not PSL stealing those EPL slots either. Well, I, yes, and I, 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 that's very true. And I think that the EPL, what's going on is that there's also incentivization for the lose teams to run NA rosters now as well. Yeah. So I think that, I don't know if you guys saw that, but there's been a announced and um, yeah, there's been um, a change, like a new Louvre agreement has been signed. And uh, one of the provision is to have uh, um, additional financial support to the North American teams. Um, so effectively, for the teams that are part of Louvre that uh, decide to sign a roster of, uh, um, I don't remember the exact details, but if it's either like a North American players or they reside in North America, um, then they, they actually have a financial incentive. And we're already seeing like as a consequence of that behind the scenes that a couple of the big NA organization we're actually considering to sign uh, European rosters. They actually um, 
decided to you know they they changed their mind and, and went back and and decided to sign uh, um, North American rosters. So that's um, that's one positive thing uh, that happened already, like in the in the short term. I think we talked a little bit about like from a grassroots standpoint, we get the um, investing more uh, money and resources into uh, FPL, uh, into team leagues, into cash cups. Uh, so have a robust ecosystem where tier two and tier three uh, teams and players can participate. And uh, hopefully the goal is also like uh, for uh, players that are, let's say, at the semi-pro level, uh, not necessarily signed to tier one team, but um, let's say close enough um, to find a, to have a structure between uh, all these different circuits where they can basically sustain themselves and and have a you know the equivalent of a salary uh, to be able to focus on the game and play play full time. Um, and hopefully, I think that's going to also attract um, players from uh, some of the other games and uh, some of the other hot titles. When you say uh, that, can you give, is there any sense of like like are you describing like will there be more incentives for like being high in FPL or something, or is this some sort of scholarship program? Can you give us like a vague idea of how you would do that? I'm interested. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, in, of course, like, you know, incentives in FPL is always a thing. Uh, we also going to launch a scholarship program. It's a bit of a spoiler because we haven't announced it yet, but um, um, we, we're going to be doing that. And um, of course, like, uh, there's a, just by having a sheer volume of uh, uh, prize money dedicated to competitions that are for tier two and tier three teams, of course, like, uh, indirectly, a lot of these teams and players will be able to. Um, gain more money um, just by by playing effectively. Did so, you think about taking nine hundred and fifty million dollars and just making a really big women's league, and then all women in the world would be interested in CS:GO and be really good at the game? Just an idea I'm floating. Yeah. <laughs> I know. If if five hundred k helps, imagine what nine hundred and fifty million would do. They'd probably all just instantly be like simple or something. I don't think that we need to put as much money. I think five hundred k is a good place to start. Okay. At least. All right. I just to... think women are worth more personally, but you know that's your opinion. So I think it's important to, you know, to 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 have like a, a place that allows us to to grow, um, you know, women participation in uh, in, in Counter Strike, right? Yes. In general, it's it's just the first step, right? And we will know that this is not a, a solution to all the problems, but it's a first step in the right direction. Um, so that's what we what we did at least. Well, and it's being the, those those leagues are also being expanded into different regions as well. Yeah, so it's been announced uh, expansion to uh, South America, which obviously has a pretty pretty strong community of sure. um, kind of strike um, female competitions. So um, that should be good. And um, yeah, I think in terms of like North American kind of strike. Um, um, there's been a few other things announced. Uh, I don't know if we, we want to mention anything else. You said, Monty, of course, we have the, the Los Angeles studios. So um, we're planning to organize some, um, some LAN tournaments and LAN events um, for, for the North American scene. And uh, yeah, I think there's a lot more that we're, we're cooking, we're discussing right now. Um, it's going to take a little longer, but I think we, we're not going to stop here uh with the investments uh it's very critical uh for the, the overall health of the counter-strike ecosystem and even from a commercial standpoint you, you guys you know talked about it a little bit 
it, a lot of the brands are, you know, <laughs> really, really concerned about uh, having a U.S. audience. Um, yeah. And a lot of the brands are, you know, based in, in America. They're American brands. So um, it overall for the, for the financial health of the CSGO ecosystem, awesome. it's important as well. I just appreciate that what it took to get North American brands to come back into CSGO was essentially some sort of like government protectionism slash just bribes, just basically just give you money and you'll come back. Like shows how North Americans really believe in esports and pioneered the whole space, didn't they? Oh no, they're all the sellouts, my bad. Shout out DJ Week, shout out DJ Week, shout out DJ Week. <laughs> I don't even know what you're referring to. <laughs> you don't need to worry about it, mate. That's neither here nor there. That was a personal beef being settled. Damn. Damn. All right. Well, we'll bring it all up at the end. All right. So uh, to Richard's to Richard's point, Mick, do you have any other aspects of this deal that you want to bring up? Like, I mean, obviously, like, uh, you know, unfortunately, reality of this is you're just going to have to walk, you know, walk the walk uh, after, you've, after, after you've talked the talk. And it'll be up to the community and everyone else to to judge on what the end results of this going to be is going to be. Yeah, exactly. No, I think we, we, we said quite a lot. Of course, there will be a lot more. Um, but. Uh, yeah, look, I think at, at the end of the day, um, proof is in the pudding, right? We'll we'll have to see uh, what what the next action are going to be. You know, the next tournaments coming up. Um, how this deal is going to really impact the the fans and the community and the players, and the teams, and everyone involved. And um, yeah, I mean, from looking at it from the inside, I'm really confident that uh, people are going to be happy because. You know, I I only see positive things coming out of this deal. What's, um, so your your old role was chief business officer, right? At Face It, what is that continuing to be your role yeah. in the new company? Um, I guess so. I, I don't know. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Are you still working there, Mick? Like, <laughs> has that been determined? I, I, as far as I know, yeah. My contract hasn't been terminated yet. So maybe like you know, uh, after I hang up after this show, uh, it could be. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's a new. It is a new project, Monty. They'll probably all have new names. They'll be like a viceroy or something to you know this slave planet. You know, <laughs> Jesus. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show, yeah, Mick. Man. I know it was really fucking hard. So you know, it's a. There's a lot of questions, and also I think it it is worth noting to the fans that to Thorin's point earlier about layers of abstraction. I, I do think that in spite of everything that is critic very criticism worthy. This could have been abstracted much more, guys. Like there, there was no need to actually, you know, it's a privately held company now. There was no need to make these kind of announcements about the financial backing of this, right? And so people yeah. will will focus on that. This could have been hidden. The, yeah, not, we decided we decided to be transparent about it. Uh, we that's that's the approach that we took. Um, yeah, you're right. Like uh, we we didn't have to disclose it. I I think it probably would have come out eventually. Uh, you know, and would have been worse. So it's not, you know, super honorable as it were. But I do think it's worth noting that, you know, they've they've publicly taken their their lumps on this one and been v very transparent about it in a way that I found surprising.
Hopefully, you're this is the first, favor. I've got one last thing many to say. good surprises. <laughs> now that you're in the company, Mick, maybe you can pass a little word on for me to the people at the pro at the project called AnyKey. Because here's the thing: I already wasn't really a huge fan of being lectured to about morality by a company initiative essentially funded by a chipset manufacturer. Maybe have a little look in how chipsets are manufactured and what elements they require to be used and where they're sourced from in the world. But I also don't ever want to hear a single fucking peep from these cunts over the fact of like minorities women like they they've shown by their actions that they are incapable of actually speaking about these particular sure, topics but to that, to that maybe point. shut the fuck up about that topic and let people who actually are real activists give their opinions to that point one no of the things we talked about, about, Don't worry about what, Go on. To, to, to that point one of the things that i'm i'm interested to see it's not a guarantee by the way that these sponsorships and partnerships stick around yeah good know. so you know we'll um, monitor that for sure yeah, I mean, we're, we're having conversations with everyone. Obviously, we've been transparent with uh, with the public, but also with our partners. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're we're taking like a very transparent approach. So we'll see. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very yeah. much. Thanks for, yeah. thanks for having love, me. Love, love to you, brother. We'll, we'll get some drinks soon, and you're fucking buying. <laughs> All right. All right. See you thanks, guys. guys. Thank you. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, guys. When we come back, viewer questions. All right. Here we are with some delightful Four Horsemen questions. It's been a while since the last show. We're going to try and get some of the more recent questions done first. We have a little bit of time to do these, uh, and especially because there might be relevant questions to what's been going on. Uh, you know, who knows when these shows come up, but we'll 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 get as many done as we can here. Um Let's see here. First up, with the constant disappointments in esports, I'm finding myself watching less and less. Is there a possibility we'll get some more content unrelated to esports from any combination of you three? Interesting that you ask that. Uh, if so, what can you share about it? Um, yes, I think is the answer. I mean, we alluded to the project that uh, Faceit slash the new Faceit ESL combined entity wants to invest in. Obviously, our conversations were before this announcement came out. Um, so, but the, the intention is to start doing non-esports content as well. I think all of us have that yeah. ambition, uh, and to, we want to explore our, our other interests outside of esports because we all have a lot and we all enjoy the conversations that we have together. So it's, and it's not just us as well. It's a, it's a bunch of other people too. Um, you guys I, have any I actually do have a plan independent of this this year to build up my side channel, which in theory is for stuff, everything not esports related. And I may even do like a separate Patreon for that and build up. And what I'll do is for a few months, I'll see where it goes. Maybe it can loop in a project like this one day. Otherwise, I'm just going to do it myself just to see what happens when you make a load of content. It's not about esports. How is it received? Is it interesting for me? So I'm actually interested in doing that anyway. It's one of the plans I had to not be as dependent on nutters and esports. Yeah, I mean, same, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like, uh, uh, fucking, I'm so jaded with a lot of this industry. You are, uh, Richard? Yeah, I know. Right, really? Surprise, right? I would never um, have known from our last so, hours of conversation. Yeah, I mean, dude, like, I don't know. Uh, it's Look, just, we're all it's, jaded. I mean, yeah, it's, about it's, it is, never, like, it's never coming back. That's the problem, dude. Like the genies out the fucking that I was being a hater. Famous was in CSGO. They used to think I was a hater where whenever we'd ask those questions, what can we do to make CSGO bigger? I would go, I don't want it to get bigger. Like it's awesome right now. Look at it. Got all the best players, the teams, talent. Yeah. Like, it, it only gets worse when you scale from here. I'm sorry, boys. That's, it does. 
that's the worst part because it's like you know i was one of the people who spent so fucking long like steering the boat to what i was absolutely certain was a fucking golden <laughs> utopia a, ver a verdant paradise on the a other neon, side if you will yes indeed <laughs> and it, instead what i've done is i've essentially careered us onto the rocks well, you know <laughs> um, uh, no, I, I think I think like all of us, um, you know, we we are jaded with esports, but at least for me, I want to be able to do esports my way, which is this way, what we're doing on the show and what we're doing with a lot of our other content. Um, I love doing the talk shows. I love being able to participate in it without, you know, on my terms. And yep. I also want to do more stuff about, you know, uh, my other interests, Thorne and I just to, you know, give some context of the kind of stuff we might make Thorne and I have like discussed doing like a graphic novel book club where we do classic graphic novels and discuss them and maybe bring artists or writers on board. Uh, Richard and I have talked about, we both have a love of persistent board games and what it would look like if we were playing those, uh, you know, for entertainment, like these kind of ideas. Yeah, By the way, one thing I'd like to quickly say is one thing you should not expect. I'm being serious. If you're a fan of this show, do not expect that we will scale with the rest of the industry. I mean, I made jokes about it on Twitter, but they're not jokes. You are now at the point where we are now going to be expected by people like you who think we're the sheepdogs who have to protect you, people who never give one cent to us. We're supposed to protect you when we're at the point where we are now literally criticizing people who have had journalists murdered and covered up their assassinations. Like, this isn't a joke anymore. Like, I said it in the past as a joke. I'm not going to die for fucking esports. It's not going to happen. You'll never catch me in that. And for one sec, I'll walk away before that happens. So if you imagine, right, think about the abuse me and Richard already get when we're totally justified calling out actual scumbags in esports. Who the fuck's going to do that in 10 years when the scale is you are literally going to be talking about murderous regimes? Yet nobody, spoiler, nobody. What they'll do is your version of integrity and transparency in the industry 10 years down the line is when one journalist has the balls to tell you that like something dodgy is going on in TSM. That'll be like the limit of how far you're able to have transparency transparency and investigative journalism and so again that's not another thing that will scale if you look at any other industry that scales inversely the bigger it gets the less you talk about all the shit that goes on as you go up the ranks of all the corrupt power so enjoy this blip in the radar where people like me and richard could like just about not get run out of town but still expose a load of scumbag shit and then bizarrely actually have those people buy us drinks instead of literally just have a fucking guy with a dodgy eastern european accent shove a fucking stanley knife in our back when we walk outside the venue Anyway, what are you going to say, Richard? Any plans for content or anything? You know, any uh, side side series or anything? Which oh, yeah, I've got a Stanley know? knife review. Uh, right, okay. Yeah, okay. uh, 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 no, pretty yeah. good. Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, dude, I, you know, I just, um, I'm going to keep doing me. Like, I don't do it for the money. I'm not really interested in that. But I've been talks with a few sponsors, as you guys know. And people I, you know, think I can work with and they'll trust what we do. It'll be nice if our thing comes together. But, you know, for me, yeah, like you say, it's got to be right. Uh, like everything else I do, so um, we'll see. I mean, I hope so. I know we can. I know we can make some really good content that's been lacking. Like esports content is garbage. It's garbage. Like that. That's the reality. It's not compelling. It's the same old shit you've seen a million times. Even the stuff people wank over and fucking you know fantasize and talk about how great it was. Oh, this documentary was the best thing you've ever seen. Just generic talking heads bullshit with no real insight into the industry. Motherfuckers who weren't there trying to tell a story they don't fucking know that they heard secondhand off some other cunt who doesn't even know it in the first place. And that's just the documentaries. Everything else is fucking whack, insipid. 
you know, no one's got any fucking skin in the game. Uh, so, you know, I want to make good content. I want to actually do and, some and, definitive and defining stuff before I get the fuck out. And, and any prerequisite to our to investment in what we're working on, and this, this is true of when we were discussing with Face It as well, is that they don't have any editorial control at all over the content. Mm. Like that will never be a thing. Um, and in a way, this is this is the this is the last gasp, guys. This is the last gasp of like actual independence in in esports because everybody else is requires things like access to players for interviews for their website or access to developers. Like basically, we've already burned all those bridges. Like there, we're on our own island now, and the question is whether or not we can survive here or not. Uh, that's that's basically it. So um, we're the only people who can really speak our minds truly. And it's it's a question of whether this community gives a fuck about that or not. Mm. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> you guys always say esports must die. Technically, it's esports must be destroyed. Esports Delenda est. Uh, how would you like it to be killed? That's the problem. You have made the key distinction. I don't want esports to die. Yeah, you know, I in its don't. bed, surrounded <laughs> by its family, fucking on streaming, whatever. Only fans weird fucking gateway i don't want that it to be and then it just peacefully passes away it needs to be like via, i'm talking it needs like the death that joe pesci's character had in the movie casino it needs to be driven out to a field and beaten to death with baseball bats by the people who loved it the most <laughs> he that wasn't actually how he, he died spoiler, but you know he was he was just mob people beating him up but you know yeah, I, mean, I, I don't i don't want it to die like i just don't uh, I, it's just the price that everybody's willing to pay for it being big. I, and I think Thorin hit it spot on earlier. And I, I was on a podcast, like a venture capital podcast, not too long ago, where I just laughed when they were like, well, what can you do to you know make esports bigger? And I was like, I don't care. Like, I actually just don't give a fuck about that because I enjoy esports for what it was. And nobody who is in this industry is and has been for as long as we have is in it because you're super interested in making money. I could have made more money doing literally almost anything else with my life guys. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's people are here because they love it. And like, that's what I want to get back to. Frankly. That's too serious an answer. He wanted a joke answer. The joke is, as I'm beating it with the baseball bat, every single time I beat it, between beatings, it just screams out incoherent, like non sequiturs, like, but what about the women's initiative? And then like, oh, but, but I said, I, gave, I put a gay flag on the thing I was when I was working with the Saudis. And that'll only, it will only determine me more to make sure that it is finished. And well, I won't make the mistake, like fucking Whistler or whatever in Blade, of leaving him just all messed up. Saying, <laughs> Say one last thing to Ralph Riker. I'll make sure I fucking see the light go out of the eyes and they'll roll back and then I'll go, <sighs> right. SNES games or something now. I don't know what I'm gonna do in my life. <laughs> that through. I'm trying to kill this demon first. Well, I think really it's a, it's more of an exorcism that needs to happen, right? Like that's that's it's been possessed by so many different demons at this point in time that it needs like twelve exorcisms. Oh, and that's the only way to bring it back. I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm just not. I don't feel it can be saved. Like no joke answer from me. Um, it, it's bittersweet because. Obviously, got a lot of friends who work in the industry. If I kill the industry, I essentially kill their careers. And a lot of them certainly aren't at the level I'm at, aren't that jaded, think it can be saved, think it can be salvaged, you know. Some of them just want to even go with blinkers on and not recognize any of the problems. That's their prerogative power to them. But the reality is, you know, I think, I think the measure of any space is would you want your family, your loved ones to work in it? 
and go through what you go through. And when you think about that and you assess that, if my child... It's a sobering thought. Esports for real will not be in my household around my kids or whatever the fuck. There's no, there's no way I couldn't in good conscience do it. Also, how the fuck could I ever recommend it? You know, keep in mind I'm a professor now, right? You know, I literally lecture to people trying to get in the industry, and what I'm trying to do is prepare them, you know, to to be able to identify the problems before they really take hold and fuck you up. I wanted, to, I want to pull them to one side and say, guys, you know, maybe not, but they, they love the space and they want to do good things and it's important that fresh blood comes in but you know unfortunately as it is now it, it's it, it had it had tumors we could have exercised like and got rid of and it could have been a healthy organism but it's metastasized now and it's way too spread and it's just fucking sad this version of esports it's just sad i don't want to watch it fade out the way it is I want to remember it when it was in rude health. It needs to be put the fuck down. So if you're asking how I'd do it, I'd take it down to the vets. It's time for the... I'm going to give it one final day out. You know? Chase some cats, have a bone, climb a tree, and then it's getting the injection. Jesus. Because <laughs> cause in its current form, it, it cannot continue. A classic Butt Pounder 20 question. When is ESL going to announce their new Sierra Leonin Blood Diamond Championship rings for the next winners of the Intel Grand Slam? <laughs> Actually, funny. It's funny though. You know, you know what I actually do enjoy about jokes like that, Monty? Is this is how you know how fucked in the head the virtue signalers are. When you say that, I guarantee for half a second they get their hairs up like, ooh, that's offensive. And then they realize, shit, wait, the implication is if I'm offended by that, but not the fact that that is real, I'm the biggest piece of shit. It's like they almost get a moment of lucidity. It just draws them back in a second. That's why if people don't know my tweets, I know I'm going up to the line because the second they point that out, I can point out they don't actually care about what the real thing is. It's like the joke of like, it's more offensive to say that these people are genociding people than them genociding people. What's wrong with your hierarchy of values where that's where you're coming up on this? Because, by the way, I've got a really um, sad spoiler for all the young men who are in the audience. If you really think... That's it. Game's over. They have to pack up shop. No more virtue signaling now. This is your first rodeo, son. Yeah, they'll be oh, back twice as hard next week. They'll just wait a week and they'll be back at it. And if you say, by the way, what about the ESL? They'll just go, can't they bloody grow and learn? And they've got all these initiatives. Like, they, these people, their, their ideology is self-contained. There are no off-ramps. It just circles back into the centre again. Like, you're on a fucking tilt-a-wheel. There's no way out. Well, unfortunately, the reality of the situation for a lot of these people is that they have to continue to justify their their what? own virtue, their own virtues, basically. Dude, here's and an angle. I guarantee some even go with this approach. They're going to go better that the money goes to a good person like me who does do exactly. activism more than a mean person like Monty. That'll be their fucked up world for real. <laughs> well, and, and, and the thing, the thing about it is like, if, if you don't have any other choices or you're not willing to take risks, then what your brain is going to do is to attempt to logically justify you being part of these projects Watch. or whatever. And like, for me, at least, uh, my my i'm just i just have embraced the nihilism of uh global capitalism and i don't think there is clean money anymore so you know i i have to make my own decisions based on these truths that make me deeply uncomfortable but at the same time i don't see a way that i can ever get away from a lot of these factors and continue to live my life without being a self-sufficient hermit in the woods which frankly does sound more and more attractive as time goes on. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. 
but but it's really tough. It's really tough to to live an ethical lifestyle in global capitalism or capitalism in general because you know there's even shit that like factory farming that I think is going to be I think in a hundred years when we have artificial sources of meat or like lab grown meat or whatever. It, that that's going to be pretty frowned upon. Like, I think it's going to be seen as a giant moral failure of the time, which it's hard to argue about now, but it's just seen as a necessity because that's people want access to cheap, cheap meat, basically. So mm. anyway, there's, there's so many sports industry. Exactly. Exactly. But I, you know, I think it's, I think it's just really tough uh, to be in these situations. But to me, the thing about it is that it, this is all going to come full circle, which is that, if you are not a piece of shit, you don't attack people on social media about, you know, their flaws or perceived lack of virtues in a way to pump up your own. And I don't think that I think that the easy like dopamine rush that you get from a bunch of people agreeing with you really ignores the human being on the other side of it. And I would just say we are all complicit in this system in one way or another. And so to go off and just like crazy virtue signal and then r sign up for this system again is just it's just shitty. Like stop doing that. Like just just admit to yourself that you're part of this system and just deal with that however you need to deal with it that doesn't involve going on social media and being a dick. Yeah, but you can the, still get all the same money for your charities and do things that you think are good. Just don't be, no. just don't fucking moral grandstands. That's his point. Ah, uh, but the the point is the narcissism for fuck's sake. They're not. It's not the end result. It's not about it's, when these people do that. They don't even care about the charity or the cause. Of course, they feel the they instance. care about feeling good. And they, I think no, and well, yeah, that. But more importantly, they care about the validation of somebody they see as a peer group. And spoiler, by the way, those same people that are giving you little fucking love hearts and stay strong and fucking i don't know there's probably a fucking emoji to express solidarity these days that i don't know about because i'm a boomer right you know all of those people will fucking turn on you the minute you express yep. an opinion that slightly deviates from the dogma they've assigned themselves to get through their fucking shitty life like we're all trying to do it, it, it's uh it's it's you want to talk about what's unsustainable Here's what's unsustainable. Creating a life for yourself where it's imperative you are always on the right side of, of every course. argument of and opinion that is ever presented publicly. Can't be done. But that's how they want to live because yes. the fucking well, inner narcissist tells them this you, is the... I, I can do this. Me, me. I will crack the code. No, you fucking won't. You will falter and fail like every other fucking human being on this planet and when you do the people that were telling you you were great on monday will kick you to death on wednesday it's well, and, just a hiding and nothing and here's the thing is that if you always agree with the quote correct unquote opinion right you're actually just not even a person who has your own thoughts like it's actually impossible to be that person and to hold people to that standard is fucking ridiculous <laughs> and also boring <laughs> Mm. <laughs> it's just also just fucking boring um all right let's go on to the next one uh <laughs> wow here's a here's an interesting what's a similar to reggie verbal harassment that's incredibly obvious today but will break in a year or two i mean probably a lot of the stuff we talked about on this show unfortunately but um what, what are your thoughts Wait, I'm, I'm, what was the initial premise? It's something like Reginald being an arsehole, but it hasn't like... It was like something that's secret. incredibly obvious right now, but nobody's doing anything about. That will break... The, the break is in quotes, break. Like, this isn't breaking news. It happened fucking years mm -hmm. ago, right? And we knew it was happening consistently the whole time. 
Uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, I the obvious one would be that the ESL female circuit will never produce one player who goes on to be a star player in the male circuit. Like, there's not even a connection between it, which is why Samler made his points that he did. The people involved who've been play female players, some of them for decades, know this, and you'll not didn't speak out publicly about it, just stayed silent. And that topic will just be spinning their wheels, spending $500,000. They're welcome to do so. As far as I can tell, they sourced the money entirely for that project. It's just it will essentially be just an ESL vanity project. Project. to pretend to help women it will help some women in the sense that they'll make a living and they'll be able to have somewhere to play but it won't accomplish any of its goals that seems like an obvious one that i'm not by the way if you're watching from the future in five years i wasn't prescient i just watched the last 15 years of esports and i know the, who the people involved are so that entire project is built on a completely false premise on a fucking it's a house of sand on the fucking beach what do you want yeah, I think a lot of the issues, I mean, it's it's unfortunate that no real dialogue ever resulted about this, because I think that there are there's a lot of interesting nuance to these conversations about how to get women more involved in, in as players in tier one esports. But it's it really is. I think that it's a lot of it. it it's not in this case because the developer, as far as I know, Valve isn't directly involved, but it feels to me that a lot of these initiatives are kind of a smokescreen to disguise the fact that the developers either can't or refuse to fix the problems with harassment on voice chat that prevent women from uh, wanting to play games at a, at a more amateur level or for pleasure because of the kind of abuse that they, they receive on the ladders. And so they, you know, they prop up these programs because they won't actually fix the fundamental underlying problem, which is that it's a very at, at on the on the casual level, it's extremely unwelcoming for women the to even be. Problem. Begin to yeah, it's a grassroots well, you, problem. You it's a, a grassroots problem. It's like it's like if you blame the NBA because a woman got harassed on a court in New yes. York City uh, in a pickup game, like and that that's a ridiculous premise. But that's basically what we're trying to solve here. Yes. And I think the developers need to fucking take responsibility for the issue for example like <clears throat> you know I've, I've often wondered why like say for matchmaking and pickup games an option for like women players to sort of click like a mode you know i'm i'm a woman um I, i've been shit on my last few games everyone's abusing me and it like pairs you up with more women or you know, pairs you up with people who have like a behavior score that says maybe this person isn't a fucking absolute arsehole and so you know, they, they do it in Dota with just a round number, just a behavior score, but it doesn't factor anything else in. It's right. we With the amount of data that goes into these platforms and into these games and into these programs, you know, um, there has to be ways. Now, obviously, that would be rife to abuse, but then you would think you you could also create a fast ban banning system for anyone that abuses it. That, you know, the, the point is these ideas aren't really yeah. being explored. It's just that what we do is, what we've got is we've got the game, you play the game, and we'll just decry anything bad in that experience and then we will await outside operators to try and fix problems fundamental to the issue. Yeah, I mean, yeah. do, does anyone have a good time playing online games? Why is that? Why oh, really? do we do it? Why do we persist, oh, but, right? Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it's a fundamental problem where it's either that the developers are too incompetent to fix these issues or, and, and here's what I suspect, guys. I, I suspect that they know that people behave extremely poorly in anonymous online environments, and if they start to ban people, they will lose all of their users. Or a, oh, a huge number of their users, and I, I mean, think shit. that that's, that's the right, knowledge they on have. purpose to like generate, you know, more accounts, more revenue. Honestly, yeah. you can see how yeah. active accounts that month. Yeah, yeah. 
By the way, one thing I'll say though, Monty, is this. One thing I, I will absolutely say, I'm, I'm an expert on this exact topic. Unlike other people, I've got the data. I experienced it firsthand in a way the rest of you didn't. I can tell you right now, nobody on that side, Monty, who claims to be profit, nobody wants dialogue. They intentionally eschewed dialogue. And do you know what the gist of the message I was sent was? We don't need dialogue. Why do I need why do I need to persuade you, Monty, to do this? We've got the money. We've got the tournament. Shut the fuck up. It's too late for you. We've got the power now. We don't need to dialogue with Monte Cristo or Richard Lewis, etc. We've got the tournament now. And in fact, here's what we're gonna do. If you attempt to dialogue with us on any grounds we don't totally co-sign, was label you a misogynist and tell the whole world you hate women. That was the gist I got. Because here's the thing, Monty, I was there for the 10 years when the dialogue was happening. Yep. When I was trying to take my audience, who by default are just 14-year-old kids who don't know anything about Counter-Strike and, and just only know the game itself, and show them, look, instead of telling you, women go through, I'll just show you their experiences. Here's a woman. Here's what she's describing when she was coming up as a pro player. Here's a journalist. Here's what she says her experience. No, no. They took the people like that, and they intentionally slapped our hand away, Monty. These people don't... This is how you know a grifter. When they have the power and the money, they don't need to waste their time dealing with you, mate. Like, why would they? They're not in it for the good intentions. So now they've got the money and the power. Our, irrelevant, our opinion is irrelevant, Monty. And worse, if expressed, it will be condemned. So the era of dialogue, that's gone. In fact, I would say this whole episode was about that. We're in the era of the talking technocracy now, boys. It's about who has the levers of power. And can you yeah. at least, are you ready? Here's the best thing we can do right now if we stay in this part of the industry. The best thing we can do is get them to lie in a way they can't very quickly just do the opposite of. They have to at least like to save face, pretend like they were doing the initiatives they were. That's about as much as you can do at the moment. Well, I, I also like I think, yeah, I mean, I, it's hard to it's hard to disagree with that, with the way things are going. Um, you know, I don't know. It, it's. <sighs> The, the whole the whole situation here is just it, it is disheartening because it, it doesn't feel like that dialogue is happening. And I think that what the, the aspect of this whole conversation that keeps in terms of inclusivity in esports that keeps getting away from people is that I literally do not know anybody in this industry who doesn't want as many people to be involved in the professional scene as possible, because that's what's fucking great about esports, and that's what we all agree is amazing. Is that there isn't a physical barrier like traditional sports that is that prevents these people from competing at the top level. That prevents anybody for the most part. Like yes, there are certain disabilities, right, that might prevent you from com from, from competing. But the idea of esports is that the pool of potential players, and therefore the pool of talent and competition, is one of the very best parts of this industry, and we should want to open that up to as many fucking people as we can but we can't even have a reasonable conversation about how that how to accomplish that goal because of the shrieking on twitter it's annoying I, mean, I i think back to my fucking you know first like team you know i had when i was like just an amateur player and i was first getting into esports you know at the tail end of the fucking 90s or whatever and you know like i like i got to meet all sorts of people from like again all different backgrounds all over the world uh, you know, one of the guys I used to play with, he's now a Ukrainian judge. I'm glad that he's having a wicked time right now. Uh, you know, and it's like, that was the cool thing. We all came on, we all played yep. the game, we all tried to improve, we all, like, hung out with each other in our downtime, we'd all, like, watch fucking, you know, YouTube videos and shit together. Now you can stream shit on Discord together, all sync it up, hang out. That was a godsend during the pandemic, right? And so... 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, this, is why, this is why I never bought this idea that it's like some hostile nightmare for everybody. Do you like, remember, I, 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 this? Do you remember back in the day we used to have stories that would literally just feel good stories? There weren't even national PR incidents. They were genuinely what they appeared. You would have like a World yeah. Cyber Games for real where you would get like a Palestinian guy and an Israeli guy. Obviously, I don't know if literally Palestinian people compete. I'm giving an example here. You'd get a famous conflict and two of these people would go out of their way to do a photo op with the site and yes. go, look, you know, gaming yes. healed bridge or whatever yeah, you know yes, yeah. that was a real Dude, thing we used, that happened we used to joke about that yeah. we used to joke about that all the time when mo and steel played on a team with each other example yes right you know but so so yes and 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 also as well you know like i mean it's still there at its core you know it's like that's why i was so sad about what happened with the blitzchung issue with activision blizzard you had a guy there actually able to express there is a problem our democracy is threatened in hong kong as he was achieving excellence and 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 he had that platform to reach people and blizzard fucking punished him for it that is so far away from what esports used to be about yeah. it was like just people like expressing opinions coming together solidarity the word community hasn't applied to esports for 10 years but it did exist at one time i was there i remember it and we, we've just strayed so far from it and now as i said it is a little bit of a grift i'm not saying women don't have fucking terrible experiences i mean shit m most of those terrible experiences happen in riot's office but you know the the, the reality is it, across the board i see people that are open-minded across the board i see young people that understand technology and aren't hung up on stupid yeah. boomer shit like you, you know like it's it's it, it was it used to be something really pure and really cool and really nice and it's and, and, and it's just so sad to see where it's, it's got to it, now oh i agree like 10 years ago Everybody was here because it was one of the most like bleeding edge progressive spaces and inclusive spaces. And I still believe it's that yeah. way. So it's it's weird to see people tearing away at it because it's still it's still that way, guys. And like, I don't know. I literally don't know anybody in this industry who doesn't agree with those principles. So it's very weird. It's very weird to be on the inside of it. Uh, we'll do a couple more quickly. I tried to get it because we're all NFL fans. I tried to get into the NFL this postseason, but the long and constant ad breaks makes it hard for me to keep engaged. That is annoying. Uh, how do you get over the constant interruptions to the game flow? I mean, it's kind of a NFL is weird in that it's kind of like a turn based game anyway, as a sport, yeah. um, which Sorry. I really like as a turn. Like, I love turn based strategy games. So, like, it, it really, like, scratches that itch for me. Um, and you just have to deal with it. I mean, it is annoying. I, I don't think anybody's going to argue that. Stop crying about it. Get the fuck up. Go go pop some popcorn or take some fucking ribs out the fucking smoker or get a beer out the fridge. <laughs> Pro problem solved. I also, think, I also think it's just a fabulous sport, so I, I'm willing yeah. to put up with it. It, it, it. it is the greatest sport on planet Earth. It is. It, so depends, it depends, obviously, if you require a social component. If you can genuinely just sit yourself and you want to watch the game, I can tell you right now, you sign up for the NFL Game Pass, you wait until the game is halfway done, you don't check the score, and you start from the beginning of the VOD, and you can just skip through all the advert breaks if you want, and just go and watch all the game. By the time it ends, you'll watch the whole match. You won't have any of the ad breaks. By the way, it's a great service. has loads of shoulder content. Yeah. All the, the problem is, if you can't handle spoilers, I'll say this. I learned years ago, cause of eSports, like... Spoilers are just like it's you you're not you're right. It's like the princess and the pea, mate. No one can cater to you with spoilers in the modern day. So, for example, I'll just tell you straight up. I get spoilers for all the games that I don't watch live. I don't give a fuck. I I, I still find it equally interesting to go. 
fucking hell, they're doing well on this, like, you know, third down. How are they going to score no points in this draft? It doesn't even make sense. Like, I still find the end, the end, if it's a good, if something's good, it's like a movie. If you've seen a movie a million times, if it's really good, the plot twist doesn't ruin it, but you know it. You still enjoy the access to the movie, the art form, the being taken from act A to fucking act B or whatever. So, personally, I don't think it's that a big a deal. If, if you can't handle the breaks, essentially, you can't watch it live, mate. I'll tell you one thing you could do very quickly. If you're a newbie to the game, there's loads of YouTube channels out there that do, like, 20-minute condensed versions of the games they just cut out all the shit with the timeouts and you yep. just watch the best players start if you're not if you're not american it, it, well actually if, even if you are american you can just buy the nfl game pass which is like in my opinion quite a good deal because like it's 150 bucks a year for like all the games and after the games are up you can literally watch the condensed version where it's just play to play to play to play to play to play to play and it takes like an hour to watch the game, right? And you, there's no commercial breaks, no nothing. It's and no downtime, no timeouts. Just like boom, 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 boom. It's great. But you can't watch it live, obviously. But it does. Those are edited within like an hour, usually the game ending. So they use an algorithm, I think. Yeah, it's really highlights. Yeah, it's, so it just uh, it's just there. You you get uh, immediately after a game, you get match in forty minutes or just highlights, which typically about twelve minutes. Yeah, and also sometimes you get coaching you, videos. You can make yeah. an index come up and click through to the passes and the completion. You can see it all. You can skip through to wherever you want. It's that, if people don't know, the joke is esports tech is trying to copy that. Then it's the most advanced sports tech in the world. Yeah, it, it, the production of NFL is absolutely it's mega. incredible. It's mega. It's absolutely incredible. It's way better than Twitch put out with. Like the quality is mega. You know, it's everything you'd want. Yeah. yeah. Final question. Favorite Dostoevsky novel? I've read The Idiots. What are your thoughts? I actually am not a big Dostoevsky fan, so I I I I don't I, I don't really? really like him. Yeah, why? I like other. So I like other Russian authors. Um, like I love Bulgakov. I've talked about this on shows yeah. before. I love yeah. the Master of Margarita. I love Petersburg by Bailey. I love uh, Gogol, um, Tolstoy. I don't See, like. No, I can't. I can't understand how you can like Tolstoy. I, I can't. It's more boring of all time. Man, guy makes fucking Dickens look fucking flippant. Uh, okay. I mean, I'm not a big. I, I am a Dumas fan. I'm not a big Dickens fan. But anyway, um, mm. for me, Dostoevsky is. I come. Uh, my interest in literature and my literature degree is in mythology and kind of like oral tradition storytelling. And for me, Dostoevsky is so individually psychological that it's just not. It's not what I like. I like um, archetypes and big metaphors and thinking about, you know, Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung and Merkia Eliade. And so for me, Dostoevsky is just, it's like being in a tiny box in someone's mind, which I, I'm just not a fan of. That's the best part. It's Proustian. It's about like the experience of being that person. It's not I, even the story. I know, I'm, it's just, like, I'm not saying it's, it's bad. I'm saying I don't like it. No, thank you. Yeah, fucking hell. Jesus Christ. Yeah, thank you. We're not, believe it or not, I was trapped inside your personal experience right there. I couldn't get out and become myself a unique, <laughs> autonomous person who's not connected to you in any way, right? I would just say I'm a big fan of Dostoevsky. I think he's mega. Crime and Punishment's yeah. the obvious one. It's basically yes. just like, it's like if saying Citizen Kane or the Watchmen in comics, they're the number one for a reason. They are just that mega that like everyone who's like, and pretty much likes them. When I was younger, maybe Notes from Underground, but I don't think that's maybe aged as well. I think it's more of a young man's book, you know? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say Crime and Punishment. I think uh, on, on a list of books you have to sort of read before you shuffle off. Uh, yeah, it's, that is it's, one of them. Yeah, I mean, it's just a fundamental meditation on, you know, the nature of guilt, ostensibly. Uh, although, obviously, lots more themes into it. 
But um, yeah, I mean, like it's 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 just a really deep meditative study on what it's like to sort of face face the consequences for heinous actions. Heinous actions, by the way, for for which you don't receive any sort of uh, societal punishment. The punishment yes. is existential. Yeah. Uh, I think everybody should read Crime and Punishment. He's just not my favorite author. That's what I would say. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> it, it, it's like a, it's it's a great not, work it, of art. It's just if not you a work said of art any for book Other than that by Dostoevsky, you are going for a hipster pick, basically. It's <laughs> it's his masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. It's a must read. All right. There you go. All right. Uh, we will be back uh, whenever, you know, the next crisis happens. And as usual, esports Delenda asked goodbye.